And we are on air at Banfor Racing Radio. This is Thursday night, October the 13th, and we're doing our Las Vegas NASCAR Weekend Preview with Hot Topics Sound Off. Now, uh, in our first half hour, we will have some short track news and upcoming races. We'll also preview the ARCA West Series at the Las Vegas Bullring taking place tomorrow night. And then we have the media interview uh, with the Arkham Menard Series West drivers, Sarah Burgess, the number 97 eBay Motorsports Chevrolet, and Bridget Burgess, her daughter, uh, driving the number 88 HMH Construction Chevrolet. Afterward, we have another media interview with the 2022 Arkham Menard Series champion, Nick Sanchez, driving the number two Rev Racing Chevrolet, and we'll follow that up with an update from the NASCAR Truck Series. We're going to close out our preview segment with the uh, NASCAR Xfinity and Cup Series playoff races at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. And then, of course, at 10 o'clock, we have our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off, and that's a discussion with our Fan for Racing crew. Joining me for tonight's show is our co-host for tonight, and that is Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you, Sharon. I hope you got a much better view there in Las Vegas than uh, I have here in my living room. <laughs> Well, I'm not in Las Vegas yet. Uh, we're still on the way, but uh, looking forward to uh, getting there sometime tomorrow. Oh, I thought yeah, I thought you were already there. I didn't realize that. You, yeah. you were, I know yeah. you said you were staying in a hotel. I thought it was already there. So, well, you nope, just dream about yet. it then. <laughs> I will be. <laughs> no doubt about it. Okay, uh, let's go ahead and start with some short track racing news uh, from Racing America and Flow Racing. Uh, Corey Heim uh, it has his sights set on the elusive Winchester rifle this weekend in the big super late model uh, race that's taking place uh, this Sunday, the Winchester 400. So uh, Corey Heim hoping to uh, bring home that rifle. Well, and this is one that is a coveted trophy for sure, but there's a reason. I know there's another article up talking about the entry list and some former winners on that list as well as some other yes. superstars uh, of racing. So it's going to be tough. I know the year I went, he had a good run, but that is some tough competition coming to Nashville. There is. Uh, also, there was an announcement made uh, a couple of days ago, the Snowball Derby Rookie of the Year will earn a $10,000 bonus. Uh, so that's kind of cool. That will happen out at Five, Five Flags Speedway uh, in the running of the uh, Snowball Derby, the prestigious race that draws in people from everywhere, all across the country. It does. We, I know Sal talks a lot about several of the ones from California, and I know uh, I don't know if he's made everyone, but he goes uh, fairly regularly. Got to meet him there. That's where I actually got to meet Sal, uh, other than just talking to him here mm. on the show. Such a huge event, and this just adds to that prestige of why drivers want to be there. I mean, just as a rookie, you can earn now ten thousand dollars as the rookie of the race. Exactly. Uh, some former. Uh, Snowball Derby Rookies of the Year include uh, uh, drivers like Daryl Waltrip, who did it, who was the Rookie of the Year in 1972, Harry Gant in 1976, uh, Dick 
Trickle in 1979. Tim Bryant, he's the uh, track guy at Five Flag Speedway in 1982. Larry Rains in 1985. I'm just uh, just touching on a few of them here. Jason Keller in 1991. Marty Lindley, one of the crew chiefs now, in 1996. Clay Rogers from Martinsville. Uh, No, wait a second. I don't think he's from Martinsville. I'm thinking of somebody else. But that's uh, 2000. Kevin Sawinski from 2003. Uh, Let's see here. Chase Elliott in 2009. Eric Jones in 2012. Dalton Sargent in 2014. If you follow uh, Fan for Racing Radio, you know that we've uh, talked with Dalton on several occasions. In 2015, it was Zane Smith. In 16, it was Chandler Smith. Uh, Chase Purdy won it in 17. Tyler Ankrum in 18. Travis Braden in 19. Daniel Dye in 2020. And in 2021, it was Sammy Smith. If that gives you a feel for uh, what it means to be a Rookie of the Year in the Snowball Derby. Well, and just taking that one race, the names you feed either what they have accomplished in NASCAR or what some of these drivers are building towards and where they're at now in their careers and still climbing the ladder. Uh, names you mm-hmm. are very familiar, obviously, Zane and Chandler Smith, Sammy Smith. Uh, apparently, Smith is a popular one. Maybe your name has to be Smith. <laughs> well, hopefully not. We'll have to see what happens this year. Uh, for the Snowball Derby. Uh, Those races typically take place the first week of December. I'm looking to see if they've got a date here uh, for that race. I don't see one, but look for it uh, sometime during that first week in December. Uh, Always always a a very entertaining race. One that I look forward to every single year. Most certainly. I, I know uh, I think that normally around the 8th, between the 8th or earlier in the month there in December, I don't have this year's date listed either. Okay. Uh, there's uh, also an interesting article here about the cup drivers say short tracks, road course packages need work. The next gen car has made intermediate tracks better at the expense of the one-lane venues. So uh, if you'd like to know what drivers are, are feeling about that uh, next-gen car. Uh, this is a great article to uh, check out, written by Matt Weaver over at Racing America. Speaking of the Snowball Derby, there's another place where I got to meet Matt Weaver. I uh, had some great conversations with him throughout the weekend. And, and this one's interesting because early in the year, and this car, they said, was kind of more designed for road course racing with the way it was set up and balanced. Uh, beginning of the year, mm-hmm. we saw first-time winners, thought it was a great thing. Now that attitude is kind of changing. So uh, I'm not sure what the issue is there. I know we've covered a couple of these portions in Hot Topics in Meso more tonight, but uh, it seems like maybe it's kind of swaying that they've figured out how to make it run on the mile and a half, and now we're a little behind on the road courses and short tracks. So we'll see where that leads into the finish of the, the year and then next year as they make some changes. Exactly. There's also uh, uh, a lot of uh, replays there if you want to catch up on some NASCAR racing or uh, short track racing. And then over at Flow Racing, they've got the Dirt Track World Championship as rich history and a big check. 
So uh, that is uh, going to be one to watch uh, this week as well. Uh, but it gives you some of the background of this race. Well, and I find that interesting. I know that had always been held at the Charlotte Dirt Track there right outside of um, Charlotte Motor Speedway. Uh, I actually know several of my neighbors um, that drive super late models, one of them being Brian Rickman, our comp cam super late model champion this year, that have been to that race. I mean, there again, local drivers building cars in their backyards. That's one event they just, whatever they Mm -hmm. can do to get to that race at least one time. Exactly. Uh, also, 38 strong for the USAC Silver Crown's Batten House 100 out in Springfield, Illinois. So uh, that's uh, that's a pretty cool race as well. And these, I think, are going to get even more interesting as we wind down with some of the other series. We know we have several champions already crowned, uh, a couple more to go, especially the NASCAR's top three. But throughout what they call the off-season you're going to see these driver names. I know Chase Elliott, Chris Bell, uh, Kyle Larson. Uh, I think Kyle did some in Australia, actually, but the Chili Bowl come up in January. You're going to see these drivers. That's how they stay sharp through what we call the off-season, um, joining more of these events that, that host during the winter months. Exactly, and we've said it before, we're going to say it again. There is no lack of racing at the short tracks either from Racing America or Flow Racing. If you want to see a replay of any of the races that took place this past weekend, all you have to do is head over to either RacingAmerica.com or FlowRacing.com. If you're a subscriber, you'll be able to watch uh, those races. And then also check out the new races that are coming up this weekend. Uh, There is a slew of races that are coming up this weekend. So uh, including the Arkham Menard Series West at the Bull Ring in Las Vegas. Another one, yeah, Sharon, I can't tell you how jealous I am. I know we talked about this the other night. That is great. You get to go to uh, to Las Vegas uh, for this event. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So uh, I've, I've always heard so much about the Bull Ring at Las Vegas uh, and Las Vegas Motor Speedway, a 1.5-mile track. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that uh, next-gen car races on that 1.5-mile track out of Las Vegas this weekend. It certainly will be. But there is so much more. Uh, and like I say, they have a schedule over at uh, Flow Racing. They have a schedule over at Racing America. There is no shortage of races. And if you missed a previous race, the replays are there. So uh, add them to your calendar and uh, check them out. I know we, uh, we're coming up to move on here, but uh, also the CRA Late Model Sportsman 2022 Championship, that'll be decided at Winchester and this is the last month for the Alan Kowicki uh, uh, DDP um, program. I was trying to find that article. I think uh-huh. that was on Racing America. There you go. They're in, they're at the Kowicki DDP driver development program enters its final month of competition with Dylan Zampa leading right now. Yes, and we've talked to Dylan several times about his uh, relationship with the Kowicki Driver Development Program. He's very strong supporter of that program and a recipient of that program. So uh, it, it's really cool to see what he's doing uh, 
uh, with that kind of support from the Kawiki Driver Development Program. Uh, and again, this is the final month of competition, and uh, I can't wait to see how it all ends out. They've also got that entry list for the Winchester 400, if you're wondering uh, who are the drivers that are going to be in that race. We mentioned Corey Heim earlier, uh, but there's a whole slew of other drivers that are going to be racing, including Carson Hosevar, Chandler Smith, Jesse Love, Sammy Smith, um, I'm trying to Casey Roderick, uh, Jake Garcia, Stephen Nassi, uh, Logan Bearden, Brandon Varney, Corey Heim, Kyle Crump. There's just a slew of uh, talented race car drivers that are racing that Winchester 400 this weekend, and uh, that's out at Winchester Speedway. Uh, if you can get out there and check out that race, it is going to be well worth your time. All right. Are you back with me, Jay? I am. We were concerned as far as you having connectivity issues from the hotel. Apparently mine here at the house is the one being bucky. (laughs) Oh, no. Okay, let's go ahead and move on to the Arkham Menard Series uh, racing at the Bullring at Las Vegas Motor Speedway this Friday, tomorrow night, 7 p.m. Pacific, uh, 7.15 Pacific Time, uh, 10.15 Eastern Time. It will be available via Flow Racing for live streaming, and radio coverage is available at ArcaRacing.com. Now, it is a three-eighths mile paved oval, and they'll be racing a total of 150 laps. On Friday, they'll have practice and qualifying from 2.15 to 3.45 p.m. And the Star Nursery 150, uh, all 150 laps over 56.25 miles, will take place at 7.15 p.m. Pacific time. So, uh, again, this is uh, the penultimate race, uh, the final race before they have their season finale out at Phoenix Raceway early in November. So uh, this is a do-not-miss event. Noah, a couple of uh, drivers that have come out of there. We talk about the Bush brothers, Kurt and Kyle Bush, Noah Gregson, Haley Deegan. And one note here, I see Tacoma Koga going to make his 100th West Series start there uh, tomorrow night. But that's not the only history we got going on. No, it's not. Let me take a look here. I'm kind of uh, going through my notes here. Okay, I'm not sure where you're at there, Jay. I was leading into, I know we were going to talk about the history making of our guests there, the audio guests we got tonight. Oh, yes, yes. We do have uh, the audio guest coming up with Sarah and Bridget Burgess. It's the first mother-daughter team that is racing in the same race. And uh, there's a media interview uh, that took place this week. And we will play that for you tonight here at Bamford Racing Radio. Uh, But this race is actually the 10th event on the West Series schedule and will be the 11th visit by the series to that 3.8 mile paved oval. Jake Drew has a comfortable 51-point lead in the West Series point standings, and he'll look to add to his advantage as he pursues his fifth victory of the season with Sunrise Racing.
Now, West Series made its first visit to the Bullring in 1994 when it was NASCAR Hall of Famer Ron Hornaday Jr. triumphed in a 200-lap event. Other drivers to secure visits to Victory Lane at the short track over the years uh, since include Ernie Cope, Mark Reed, Austin Cameron, Jim Inglebright, Greg Persley, Sam Mayer, Gracie Trotter, and Taylor Gray. That's right. And while the racing season for the Arca Menard Series uh, is in uh, the Arca East have come to a close, the Arca Menard Series West, as I mentioned earlier, still has a couple of races, including the Bull Ring at Las Vegas. And uh, they are they have their championship leader uh, will look to continue a strong season in front of the West Series field. Uh, Drew's teammate Tanner Reif. Uh, will be chasing his third victory of the season uh, after securing wins at Irwindale and Evergreen Speedway earlier this year. And Cole Moore, he's fresh off his first West Series victory at All-American Speedway back on October 1st. He'll look to carry his momentum into Friday night's event in Las Vegas. And his Bill McAnally racing teammate, Landon Lewis, he's also looking for his second victory of the 2022 season. Now, elsewhere in the okay. field, uh, history – oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, mentioned that history is uh, going to be made here when Bridget Burgess races against her mother, Sarah Burgess, who's making her West Series debut on Friday. Uh, we'll cover this a little bit more and with the uh, audio, but it'll be the first time in ARCA or NASCAR history a mother and daughter will race against each other in the same event. Okay, there's also several other drivers making their West Series debuts on Friday. They include Tyler Reif, the brother of the aforementioned Tanner Reif, who will be driving the number 41 for team owner Chris Loudon, uh, Madera Speedway late model compar- competitor Jacob Smith, who is also making his series debut aboard the number 5 Ford, fielded by team owner Jerry Pitts. And Katie Heidinger, uh, who recently announced as part of the Advanced Auto Parts Drive for Diversity Combine, she's slated for a West Series debut in the number 02 Chevrolet for Young Motorsports. Mexico's Andres Perez de Lara, another driver for Diversity Combine invitee, makes his West Series debut in the number 54 for David Gillen Racing. So excited for Katie Heidinger and... Uh... Uh, Andres Perez de Lara. It's going to be fun to watch them. Taylor Gray, who won the West Series opener earlier this year at Phoenix Raceway, he's returning to West Series competition in the number 71 Ford for David Gilliland Racing. Gray is the most recent West Series winner at the Bull Ring at Las Vegas, and he's going to look to become just the second multi-time race winner in West Series history at the track. So watch that name. Watch that driver, Taylor Gray. And some other notables I mentioned, Takuma Koga making his 100th West Series start on Friday, as well as Buddy Shepard, Todd Souza, and R.J. Smotherman, uh, amongst others here that we'll cover on the full entry list. Okay, and speaking of that, let's go ahead and cover the full entry list now. Um, We'll go from the bottom up. All right. I'll go ahead and start uh, with David Smith. Go ahead. In in the number 05, he hails from Sydney, British Columbia, 
driving the Shockwave Marine Suspension Seating Toyota uh, for his own race team, and David Fugute will be on top of the pit box. Then there's in the number two we mentioned earlier, Katie Hevinger from Dryden, Michigan, driving the Chevrolet Performance uh, Chevrolet for Tyler Young, and Andrew Abbott is on top of the pit box. In the number 99, that's a Bill McAnally Chevrolet. Mario Isola, Isola will be coaching driver Cole Moore. Moore comes out of Orangevale, California, with the Beep Industries JMN Environmental Sponsor. And then with eBay Motors as a sponsor, Sarah Burgess comes out of Brisbane, Australia, and being the number 97 family-owned Chevrolet, Victor Frankel, the crew chief there. Victor Franco is actually going to be the crew chief for Bridget Burgess as well uh, in the number 88 HMH Construction Chevrolet, uh, and that's a team owned by Sarah Burgess. Also, Vince Little from Madera, California, is driving the True Quality Construction Daryl Herzog Roofing Chevrolet, the number 85. Uh, he'll be the owner. Daryl Herzog is the crew chief. Number 84, Mike Knocky Ford, a usual competitor. This time behind the wheel, though, is going to be Bradley Erickson out of Phoenix, Arizona, bringing the LS Framing Fastline Motorsports forward along with Tony Caputo. And then Dave McKenzie coaching Nick Johandis. Uh, the number 77, Jan's towing, towing King Taco Toyota of Joe Nava comes out of Northridge, California. Yeah, Nick Johandis. Also, Taylor Gray, we mentioned it before, our driver to watch this weekend in the number 71 from Mooresville, North Carolina, for DGR. That's David Gilliland Racing Ford. And Chad Johnston will be on top of his pit box. Roxy Gabbard will be on top of the pit box for the number 66, driven by Eric Reed from Bountiful, Utah. He's driving for Al Jones Racing in their Chevrolet this weekend. Coming from the west out of Madero, California, though, is Joey East and another Mike Knocky Ford, uh, this one being crew chief by Mike Knocky himself on that Richwood Meets Bowsdale Farms machine, number 54. And then in the 51 out of Mexico City, uh, Mexico is Andre Perez de Lara driving for Johnny Gray in a Ford. Derek Smith is a crew chief of that Imperium Constar Latham Tekel car. And the number 42 is Amber Slago from Sylvan Lake, Michigan, driving the MMI SunWest Construction Toyota uh, for, driver, for owner Bruce Cook. And Derek Peebles will be on top of the pit box. It'll be Tony Jackson on top of the pit box for the Chris Loudon-owned uh, Ford, uh, driven by Tyler Wright, the number 41. He hails from Hendersonville, Henderson, Nevada. He'll be driving the Power Gen Component Stony board for Chris Laden. Kenesha Tuttle will be crew chief in Andrew Tuttle in his cell phone number 39, sponsored by Gearhead Coffee. That Chevrolet comes out of Caldwell, Idaho, and then out of Pahrump, Nevada. There's R.J. Smotherman in the number 21 John Wood-owned Chevrolet. It's going to be Matt Jackson on the crew chief for the Wolfenstein Construction and Stonies. 
And it's Buddy Shepard, a local favorite from Bakersfield, California, driving the number 17 MMI H&M Body Work and Towing Toyota for Steve McGowan. Sean Samuels will be on top of the pit box. Charlie Wilson is on top of the Bill McAnally-owned Chevrolet, driven by Landon Lewis, the number 16 Napa Auto Parts uh, is his sponsor. He hails from Ocean Isle Beach, North Carolina. Series regular, the number 13 is Todd Souza, comes out of Romas, California, brings along Central Coast cabinets to the Kelly Souza-owned Toyota. Michael Munoz is calling the shots there. And Jerry Pitts, another one, uh, crew chief, he'll be with the Kyle Keller, number 12, LVMPD Foundation, the Eros Environmental Battleborn Ford, uh, owned by Steve Bohan, comes out of Las Vegas, Nevada. Bohannon. Okay, Chris Loudon, he's going to be driving as well as crew chiefing. Uh, Chris Loudon will be behind the wheel of the number 11. He hails from Las Vegas, Nevada. He'll be driving the Blue Valor Whiskey Stony Chevrolet for John Wood. Dave Jackson on top of the pit box. And then it'll be Jeff Schrader on top of the bill, on top of the pit box for the Bob Bruncati Ford, driven by Tanner Reif, the number nine, Vegas Fastener Manufacturing. Again, Tanner hails from Henderson, Nevada, just like his brother. <laughs> With the hometown of Nagoya, Hichi, Japan, is Takuma Koga in the number seven Loop Connect Toyota, owned by Jerry Pitts. The crew chief here, though, is going to be Denny Moyer. And then Bill Sedgwick, a familiar name, calling the shots for the Broomcotti number six Ford of Jake Drew. Drew comes out of Fullerton, California, is in the Sunrise Racing Molecular Group A machine. All right. Also, uh, Jacob Smith from Eagle, Idaho, is driving the number five collective region board for Jerry Pitts. Uh, they don't have a crew chief listed for him, but uh, uh, you never know. Uh, I guess we'll find out tomorrow night. And also driving the number four is Sean Hingarani from Newport Beach, California, driving the Fidelity Capital Nascimento Joiner Motorsports Toyota. Uh, for Nassimano Motorsports, Ty Joyner is his crew chief. And well, that's, that's a big event. The entry list. Yeah, I think I counted 26 drivers there uh, that we just covered. So big event for the West Series right there with the uh, Xfinity and Cup Series at Las Vegas. That's a lot of cars on that three-eighths of a mile track. Uh, it's going to be a lot of bumping and banging, I think. That's why they call it a bullring. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Now, the broadcast schedule is available uh, at Uh If you'd like to check that out, they have several articles over there, a couple about from uh, uh, featuring Sammy Smith. He takes the Sioux Chief Showdown Champion, the Arkham Menard Series East Championship. Uh, he, he's just been on a roll this year. Daniel Dye. Uh, he actually locked up the 2022 CGS Imaging Four Crown Champion. You, Chip, you can read about that. Nick Sanchez secured the Arkham Menard Series Championship at Toledo last weekend. We're going to have some uh, audio from him tonight. Again, it's the media interview with him after winning that championship. 
And uh, you can watch Friday Night's Race from the Las Vegas Bullring live on Flow Racing. There's also tickets still available for the Star Nursery 150 at the Bullring in Las Vegas. And they also have some behind the scenes, everything you need to know about the Bullring in Las Vegas. So a lot of great articles there. And uh, do not miss well, I'll have to pick it up on one of those uh, platforms you mentioned there as I won't be able to get out there by tomorrow night. Yeah, that might be difficult. <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh just want to uh, let you know that uh, we are going to play the um, audio interview with Sarah Burgess and Bridget Burgess. Uh, again, they're making history this weekend out at Las Vegas in the Arco West. Uh, as the first mother-daughter pair to race together in the same track uh, in that Star Nursery 150 this Friday night uh, out at the Las Vegas Bullring. So uh, with that, let me see if I've got some more. Okay, Sarah Burgess, she's the driver of the number 97 eBay Motorsports Chevrolet. She's the mom of Bridget. She's also the team owner of BMI Racing. She normally serves as a, as a crew chief for Bridget's number 88 Arkham Menard Series West entry. And she's making her West Series debut at the Bullring this weekend. Um, she's also the senior business developer and partnership manager for eBay Motors. Uh, Bridget is the driver of the number 88 HMH Construction Chevrolet SS. She has four top 10 finishes so far this season. Again, Sarah and Bridget are both natives of Brisbane, Australia. They moved to the United States in 2008 in hopes of getting involved with motorsports, which then became a passion for Bridget as well. Now, Sarah's racing background is actually in drifting and pro-light trucks. She raced the number 97 in trucks as well. BMI Racing is a small family-run team uh, based out of uh, Tule, Utah, outside of Salt Lake City. And Sarah's husband and Bridget's dad, Adam, normally serves as Bridget's spotter, but uh, he but will be the eyes in the sky for Sarah this weekend out at Las Vegas. Uh, So with that, let's go ahead and listen. We're going to listen to maybe about five minutes, and then Jay and I will comment afterwards. All right, everyone. As you know, we are joined by Sarah Burgess, driver of the number 97, eBay Motors Chevrolet, and Bridget Burgess, driver of the number 88, HMH Construction Chevrolet in the Arkham Menard Series West. Um, they will be making history this weekend at the Bullring at Las Vegas Motor Speedway when they become the first mother-daughter pair in a NASCAR or an ARCA-sanctioned event um, to race against each other. So we're just going to start off quickly here with Sarah. Um, Sarah, can you just give us a little bit of background as to how this idea came together and what it took to put it together? Oh, my gosh. Um, so, honestly, the idea sort of came to fruition um, the end of last year, like, you know, going through a full season with Bridget's new car, like, um, and and running it through and kind of like, this is really cool. Uh, I'd love to actually give it a go at some point as well, probably help on the feedback from Bridget to understand the car a bit more, and, and then it just turned into how amazing would it be to then actually just race against each other. Um, and so that was, you know, sort of as we wrapped up the season last year and then how we started to look at the season for this year and, 
and adding a second car for backup for Bridget. And then that's what it was really like, oh, wow, like we need to, um, we could, you know, try and make this happen to have a mother-daughter opportunity um, and, and race to asphalt together. It would be such a great experience. Awesome. And then, Bridget, your mom is usually atop the pit box for you when you're racing. What is it going to be like to be competing against her and having her as a teammate this weekend? I think it'll be fun. Um, my mom and I race for each other in off-road, so I think it's just going to bring out that extra competitiveness from my mom, I think. So I think it'll be interesting, but really fun, and I'm really excited for it. Awesome. We're going to open up the questions. If you have a question, please go in and raise your hand um, under the reaction. Um, I see Mike Embry has his hand up. So, Mike, we'll go ahead and start with you. Morning, ladies. Good morning, Mike. Sarah, tell me uh, why this particular week, this particular track to do this. We, um, in terms of the actual track selection, we did have two possibilities. It was Owendale for the July race um, was one of the first options. And then um, the next one being... Um, this race at the Vegas track. There's a couple of different aspects to it in just terms of the demands and, and what we go through for each type of race. Like, a, you know, going to a road course track is, I'll be honest in saying, I don't have the road course experience um, compared to Bridget. She's phenomenal on a road course. Um, and then just the resources from a team perspective and personnel. Um, you know, going to Owendale is, is a, a great local track that we've been to and, and it would have been a great option, um, but also the same for Vegas as well. It's just a little bit less on the demand um, for what we need to do. And the great thing about this Vegas race is that it's, it's a straight-through race where we don't have any, like, stops for fuel or tires. So uh, it does simplify that opportunity. Um, and, you know, the, the Las Vegas Bullring on a NASCAR Cup weekend uh, really ties it all in nicely together. So, you know, I know that there's a lot of attention going around the Cup Series right now, and, you know, for us to be a part of the giant big story, uh, it's pretty exciting. Is there some kind of wager on who finishes best? <laughs> it is definitely the most common question, um, you know, and it, and it is I have been asked, uh, you know, am I going out there just to circulate? And it's like, no, I'm, I'm going out there to be competitive. It's just my nature. Um, you know, we keep sort of like, who's going to win? Um, you know, I, 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 of course, I want to see Bridget do well in the race, just from a, from a championship point standpoint. She's doing well this year. She's 17 points. Um, but at the same time, yeah, I, I do want to do a really good job. So, um, but Bridget's definitely got a better car. What do you, what, what do you think? Um, I think it'll be like, so weird. I think it'll be like tough because we're all going to race each other but like it's obviously when it comes back to the last five laps, you know, we're just we're two race cars out there. So it's like when we race off road, it was a similar situation where yes, we were teammates and we raced each other cleanly, but when it came down to the last few laps, we were just really rough with each other at best. <laughs> and I mean, it makes it exciting at best. You know, that's what's everything about. Um, we get rough with each other, and, you know, it's just, like, down to the last lap. So. Okay. It sounds like uh, they're having fun with this and uh, really looking forward to this race this weekend as they make some history. Well, and I just think about uh, the thought process of what they all put into this. You know, they want to do it. It's history-making, but also to, to get the most out of it. 
you know, she mentioned there were some reasons behind uh, possibly doing it at Irwindale, some po- some reasons behind doing it at Las Vegas. So, you know, how much thought just for one race and to, to be able to put the package together, the car together, the sponsorship and all that to, to come together um, for such a big event. I think Las Vegas is a great one. Uh, wouldn't mind seeing it at Irwindale, but I think the attention that she mentioned there, uh, Sarah mentioned with the Cup Series being there as mm-hmm. well, uh, promotion-wise, I think is going to be a lot bigger as well. Yeah, I think so too. And uh, it is going to be fun to watch them race each other uh, on that bull ring with all those cars that are going to be out there on the track. Uh, so uh, we'll have to check that out. Uh, it, there will be, I believe, a replay of this race. I'm going to uh, check out the broadcast schedule here because if you can't be at Las Vegas Bullring Bull this weekend, the USA will have a tape delay of this race on Friday, October the 21st at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, and as I mentioned, if uh, you can't watch it on Bull Racing, listen to the radio broadcast at arcaracing.com. It, it's going to be a fun race for sure. And this just adds, I think, uh, another element to it. That interview, by the way, was uh, around 17 minutes. Uh, we can only listen to uh, just under five minutes of it, uh, but uh, you can hear it over at uh, arcaracing.com as well. Yeah, I might have to go to listen to it. I don't know if that question got asked. I know they t- touched on the uh, the competition between the two, but my question would be, as, as Sarah is normally the crew chief, did she coach and teach everything to Bridget she needs to know, or is she going to now go out there and show her? Or is Bridget, as, as the one learning, saying, hey, look what I learned from you, uh, beat you pretty good? <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, she did mention that Bridget has the better car, she thinks. Uh, so uh, I think that's going to motivate her to try to do whatever she can do uh, to compete with her daughter at that race. Uh, even though she feels her daughter has the better car, it would be quite an accomplishment if mom can uh, keep up the paces with her. I, di- I did hear where she said, yeah, she eliminated road course racing. She, know- she knew where uh, Bridget's uh, road <laughs> course talent lay- laid there, so she chose not to go with that one head to head. Exactly, exactly. Okay, now we do have another interview here. This one uh, is from the 2022 ARCA Racing Champion, Sanchez. He drove the number two for Rev Racing this season, and uh, the Arkham Art Series wrapped up their season at the season finale at Toledo Speedway a week ago. So uh, Nick was able to meet with uh, some media members this week, and uh, they conducted the interview with him. So uh, let's take a listen to what Nick had to say uh, in this interview. And and, uh, I will say this interview is closer to about 15 minutes, 15 and a half minutes. Uh, Again, we're just going to listen to a small portion, about five minutes, and then Jay Jay and I will comment afterwards. Hi, Nick. Can you hear me okay? Yep. I got you. Fantastic. Well, first of all, congratulations. You are the 2022 Arkham Series champion. Um, if you would just open us up by taking us through the emotion 
uh, of what I just said. You are the Arts and Menards Series champion. And, um, you know, maybe just kind of walk us through your season and how you got here. Yeah. Um, geez, I mean, it's still, still pretty cool being, I guess, introduced as that. But, yeah, uh, our season started in February. And uh, I guess starting the year, like, I didn't really – it's so far away and so much could go right and wrong that you don't think about, you know, points or anything. Um, but our, our season didn't get off the best start at Daytona and Phoenix had a flat tire in Daytona and then Phoenix just kind of missed it a little bit. Um, but obviously when we started, you know, uh, knock off those wins at Dega and Kansas and then start to have some pretty good runs, um, that's when I guess our season took off, uh, there was a lot of races. I mean, we had three wins, but there was a lot of races that I think we could have we could have uh, could have won. Uh, Mid Ohio, Pocono, but, but uh, I think it was a pretty solid year for my team. Absolutely. Well, congratulations again, and we will now go to um, questions from the media, and we will start things off with Nathan Solomon. Go ahead with your question, Nathan. Thank you. Hey, Nick, thanks for your time, and congratulations. Um, you know, throughout the season, it, it seemed like the rev cars really, both you and Roger, really seemed to thrive on some of the bigger tracks more and, and struggle a little bit more on the short tracks. That being said, the back half of the schedule is, is more short track Chevy. Uh, so how were you able to kind of manage that points gap over Daniel when, when those times was better on some of those short tracks? Um, yeah, I mean, we just had to maximize our day um, and, and kind of eliminate mistakes, but also capitalize on the tracks that we knew uh, we were going to be strong at. Michigan, Pocono, uh, Kansas. I think if it wasn't for our strong runs and wins at tracks like that, we probably wouldn't be in that position. But as far as our short track stuff, you know, I knew I, I wanted to get better and my team wanted to get better. Um, and we just we just tried to keep improving. Um, Berlin, Elko, those, those tracks were pretty rough on us. But, you know, we got through them, and uh, my, team, my team and I capitalized on the track that we knew we were going to be very competitive on. And then as a follow-up, kind of later in the year, guys like Sammy Smith had birthdays. I was making him eligible for more races and then going to more of those short tracks later in the year. Um, more guys like Jesse Love, Taylor Gray, they made more starts. So how do you think some of those younger guys being more present later in the year maybe uh, affected the back half of the season in the championship fight? Um, I, I don't think it affected it too much. Uh, you know, most of the short tracks, Sammy and Jesse were running at um, to begin with. But then, I mean, you saw Michigan and Pocono, uh, even though Sammy did turn 18, you know, we still were, we were able to outrun them. So I don't think it really affected us on the big track stuff. Uh, short tracks, obviously, I feel like they got better as the year went on, and we kind of, you know, plateaued. Um, so, yeah. We'll take our next question from Bob Pockers. Go ahead with your question, Bob. Yeah, Nick, I uh, just wanted to check. What, what, do you have plans set yet for next year, or when do you think those will be done? Um, I, I do know what I'm going to be driving next year, uh, but but they that hopefully will be announced um, later on, later in October. But, uh, yeah. Is uh, it safe to say the trucks and hearings? Um, somewhere. Um, I think it's Probably leaning more towards that. Okay, thank you. Question from Lee Spencer. How was your question, Lee? Thanks for joining us today, Nick. To kind of follow up on on Pocky's question, um, you look at the great reputation that KBM has for developing young drivers. Is that a place that you'd be interested in driving next year? Yeah, obviously that that would be pretty cool. 
um, you know, get the opportunity there. Uh, I think that's top organization, but I don't, I don't know where I'm going to kind of land, but uh, I think it will be probably more so in that series. Um, but yeah, I mean, that would obviously be a really cool opportunity if I did, I did get that. Have you followed some of the drivers that have come there and what they've been able to do? The William Byron, the Christopher Bell, um, Eric Jones. I mean, the list just goes on and on with, you know, the kind of organization that he had and the depth of it and what these young drivers have been able to accomplish in the higher series, which I'm assuming you're aspiring to as well. Yeah. I mean, like I said, obviously, if, if I get that opportunity, that will be awesome. Um, I don't know, but... I feel like when you look at a truck series um, team, they're probably at the top of the list as far as development to, development for drivers. Um, I, I know it, obviously it will be a Chevy team. I don't I don't exactly know what where the landing spot will be, um, but still still have a little bit of a chance in Xfinity. So um, I know it's going to be one of the two. All right, so uh, that's good news for Nick Sanchez. It sounds like he's coming up to uh, the NASCAR Xfinity or Truck Series for next season. Well, it's great to to wrap up the season. First, I want to talk about his championship season. Uh, He talked about it at the beginning of the season. Yeah, it's in your mind, but you can't put the focus on it. It's running week to week. And I, I know he mentioned a couple of races that maybe got away from him. And then as we saw, mm-hmm. that points tightened up, spread out a little bit, tightened up again there, two points to the throughout that race. Um, <clears throat> to be able to handle that and keep your focus, as you mentioned, on just the one race, capitalizing on your good track and good runs and having to let those others go. Yeah, earlier in the season, he was competing against his teammate, Roger Caruso, who was at the top of the points. So uh, when he said that he missed it on those uh, couple of races in the beginning of the season, uh, I think that was uh, a missed opportunity for him to lead the points, uh, you know, right from the very beginning. Uh, But I'm sure, you know, competing against his teammate made both of them better, I think, throughout the season. Then the other the other half of that that we get, just got to listen to in that little clip there. I don't know what's tougher, winning a championship or not talking about something he said he already knows, <laughs> but they're not ready to announce and having to not answer those questions. Yes, <laughs> that's that's kind of a tough position that they put him in. Um, but uh, it does sound like. Uh, uh, he's going to have a landing spot for next season, and I hope it does all work out for, for him. That's right. Good position, but a tough position, no doubt. Exactly. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, let's go ahead and move on to our NASCAR series. Uh, the Camping World Truck Series will not be racing this weekend. Uh, their next race is going to be at Homestead Miami Speedway Saturday, October 22nd. Uh, but we do have a couple of notes here that we can kind of share with you uh, as it relates to uh, maybe some clinch scenarios or uh, some double duty that they're doing uh, while they're not racing <laughs> in the uh, truck series this weekend. There's five uh, competitors uh, racing in the Xfinity Series. Well, and we start with Truck Series playoff contender John Hunter Nemechek. He'll be in the number 26 Sam Hunt Racing Toyota again this weekend at Las Vegas. And then Rajah Karuth will be in the number 44 
Alpha Prime Racing Chevrolet. And we also got Matt Jaskell. He'll be piloting the number 13 Motorsports Business Management Toyota. Let's see who else do we have? Matt Mills. Uh, he'll be in the number five BJ McLeod Motorsports Chevrolet this weekend. And Haley Deegan, we talked about history making, attempt to make her NASCAR Xfinity Series career debut this weekend with SS Greenlight Racing with Jeff LaCourt in the number 07 Chevrolet. So those are the five we mentioned. Uh, the Truck Series does not return to action until next week at Homestead, Miami. So fans of the series can catch some of these drivers in the Xfinity Series. Absolutely. That'll be fun. Okay, it's a make it or break it one shot for the championship four, and it all comes down to Homestead Miami next weekend. Uh, Let's go over the competitors uh, just to keep it fresh in everybody's mind. We'll go from the bottom up, two by two. Okay. Uh, Start with, let's see, Grant Enfinger, unfortunately, the one at the bottom, but driver of the number 23 GMS Racing Chevrolet, posted five starts, one top five and three top tens, with one pole coming in 2018 at the Miami track. His average start is 7.6. Average finish, though, 11.4. John Hunter Niemicek, he's driver of the number four Kyle Busch Motorsports Toyota. He's got four starts at Miami with one top five and two top tens. Average start is 7.5. Average finish, 8.8. All right, a little bit of a competitive edge there. Uh, there's also Stuart Friesen, driver of the number 52, Halmar Friesen Toyota. He's made five starts at the 1.5-mile track uh, just north of the Florida Keys, and he's got one top five and two top tens in those starts. His average uh, start at that track is 11.2. His average finish is a 13. Oh, Christian Eckes is the driver of the number 98 Torsport Racing Toyota. He has two starts at Homestead, Miami, uh, posting one top five and two top tens. His average, uh, he has an average start of 3.0, and his average finish is the best we've heard so far, 5.5. And we got Ben Rhodes. He's driver of the number 99 Torsport Racing Toyota. This is five starts at the 1.5-mile Miami track. He's got one top 10 coming in 2018, led a total of 45 laps. Average start is about the same as everybody else, 7.8. Average finish a little higher at 15.8. Zane Smith is the driver of the number 38 Front Row Motorsports Ford. He's only got one start at the track in 2020. He unfortunately finished 37th after an incident early sidelined his truck on lap 19. Okay. Uh, next up are the top two drivers, Chandler Smith, the driver of the number 18, Kyle Busch Motorsports Toyota. He's posting his first truck series start at Miami uh, next weekend, so we don't have any stats for him as of yet, but he's going to build on that from this weekend. Ty Majeski, he's the driver of the number 63, Sport Racing Toyota. He has the one start at Homestead, Miami in 2020, where he posted a 10th place finish. Uh, so uh, a lot to look forward to there next weekend. As we went through those, you saw the playoff bubble. It's Eckes, Friesen, Nemechek, and Enfinger. They're outside the champ four cut line. 
So when we look at the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series playoff following that second race around eight at Talladega Super Speedway, the postseason competitors are tasked with trying to make the championship four round with only that one race to go. Now, Thor Sports Racing's Ty Majeski, he won at Bristol in the round of eight opener, and non-playoff driver Matt DiBenedetto snagged the win at Talladega, which leaves three spots still up for grabs. Heading into that next playoff race, it's Chandler Smith and Zane Smith assume the second and third playoff spot, uh, positions respectively. Ty Majeski's Thor Sport Racing teammate Ben Rhodes currently ranked in the fourth and final transfer spot to the championship four round is only up three points on teammate Christian Eckes in fifth. Then behind Eckes is the Halmar Friesen Racing. Stuart Friesen in sixth is three points below the cut line. Cowbush Motorsports' John Henner Nemechek in seventh is five points back. And GMS Racing Chevrolet uh, Grant Enfinger is currently in eighth, 29 points back. He's pretty much in a eh, have to win, really close to it if not. Exactly, exactly. But it's really tight uh, right there by the cut line. Okay, next up we'll talk about uh, South Beach uh, to help decide this year's championship for round contenders. Uh, they they have their uh, they're going to be finishing up a two week break uh, before coming back uh, to race their last race in the playoff round of eight, the Baptist Health 200 out at Homestead, Miami, on Saturday. October the 22nd. Now, with a win by a non-playoff driver, Matt Benedetto, uh, at the series' last race at Talladega Super Speedway, uh, only one driver has secured his spot in the championship four round at Phoenix, and uh, that's with a win at Bristol Motor Speedway by Ty Majeski. Uh, so, Matt Benedetto means uh, that means that three drivers. Uh, are probably going to make it in on can make it in on points uh if there is a uh playoff driver that wins this weekend then it would be two drivers uh that will make it in on points uh the following drivers uh have already clinched their spot into the round of four and that's time just be with that win but if there's a repeat winner or a win by a driver who cannot advance to the next round uh these drivers uh, can clinch by being ahead of the fourth winless driver in the standings. <clears throat> so uh, these point values that I'm going to go over here are going to hold true if a new win would happen to also come from Chandler Smith or Zane Smith or Ben Rhodes. So Chandler Smith needs 26 points, Zane needs 38 points, Ben Rhodes 52 points, Christian Eckes can only with a win, as it is the case for Stuart Friesen, John Hunter Nemechek, and Grant Infinger. So if there's a new winner from Christian Eckes or another winless driver who won in the standings, but still eligible to advance to the next round, uh, then these drivers can clinch by being ahead of the third winless driver in the standings. Uh, Chandler Smith needs 29 points, Zane Smith 41 and then these drivers all need a win. Ben Rhodes, Christian Eckes, Stuart Friesen, John Hunter Niemann-Check, and Grant Infinger. Uh, now, all of these drivers, of course, can clinch if they get a win at Homestead, Miami. Uh, and so that includes Chandler and Zane Smith, 
Ben Rhodes, Christian Ecke, Stuart Friesen, John Henry Nemechek, and, of course, Grant Infinger. So it's going to be fun to see what happens this week. Well, and you heard it there in those points. I mean, they're pretty big points gaps, and most of the drivers, it says, need help. So the only way you can help yourself without anybody else, win that race. Exactly right. And that is exactly what all drivers want to do when they enter a race is go out there and win it. And there's no better time uh, for these Camping World Truck Series drivers to do it than at Homestead, Miami. One thing we should note is we're coming down to the last couple of races here uh, in the Camping World Truck Series uh, with the owner Marcus Limonis. Uh, Camping World is ending their sponsorship or their title sponsorship of the series at the end of the race at Phoenix. And so we know that uh, Craftsman Truck Series is what it will be known as next season. So uh, there's a little bit of sentimentality, I think, here uh, watching these last two races at Homestead Miami and Phoenix coming up in the next couple of weeks. And what, and what Camping World, uh, as a brand, I know one year we had the Gander Outdoor Truck Series, but Mark and Lamont, mm-hmm. uh, what he's done with this, this brand for this series cannot be understated. I mean, it has just been a, such a huge impact and carried the Camping World Truck Series uh, for the last, uh, I don't even know how many years it's been. Yes, it's been, it's been at least 10 years, I think. And um, uh, we'll look forward to uh, welcoming Craftsman back, but we're certainly going to miss Camping World Truck Series um, as uh, they do their their last dance, if you will, at Homestead and Phoenix. Okay. Uh, let's go ahead and get into the Xfinity Series. They are racing this weekend out at Las Vegas Motor Speedway in the Alsco Uniforms 302 on Saturday, October the 15th at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, the purse for this race is $1,272,611. It will be televised on NBC starting at 3 p.m. Eastern, and radio coverage is on PRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio Channel 90. They'll be racing a distance of 301.5 miles over 201 laps. The first two stages are 45 laps each, stage one ending on lap 45, stage two on lap 90, and the last stage uh, will be 101, no, it'll be 110, 111 laps uh, ending on lap 201. Well, the first note we got here is that we mentioned earlier, Haley Deegan is going to make her Xfinity Series debut this weekend. She's a regular NASCAR Camping World Truck Series driver. be making the Xfinity Series debut this weekend with the number 07 Ford with SS Greenlight Racing. And they're going to look to become the 23rd different female competitor to compete in the NASCAR Xfinity Series all time. She is in her second full-time season in the Camping World Truck Series with David Gilliland Racing. She's posted three top tens in 44 starts, finished a career-high six earlier this month at Talladega Super Speedway. The best finish by a female driver in her NASCAR Xfinity Series career debut is 15th by Shauna Robinson 
on June 8, 1991 at Rougemont. The all-time best starting position by a female driver in the Xfinity Series is the pole position, which was won by Shauna Robinson in 1994 at Atlanta, as well as Danica Patrick in 2021 coming at Daytona. The all-time best finish by a female driver in the NASCAR Xfinity Series is fourth. That was also by Danica Patrick in 2011. Happened to come at this weekend's track, Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Okay, so uh, that's going to be fun to watch. Daniel Hemrick is uh, returning to college racing for the 2023 season. Uh, he originally signed on for a one-year deal with Colleague in 2022. Well, now he signed an extension with the team and will once again be behind the wheel of that number 11 Chevrolet. Hemrick made it to the round of 12 in the postseason, uh, and he has scored two top fives, uh, 10 top tens, and a pole so far this season. Uh, many of you will remember last year he won the championship by getting his very first victory uh, in the season finale. And that's great. I know when they made their other driver announcements, uh, that, that was one that was still kind of a question mark. So that's great to see. It is indeed. Uh, where's this next break start here? Uh, the field is set. Eight, uh, field Sitting is pretty set in the Sin City. Of... Uh, okay, missed one. There we go. Uh, Saturday's ALSCO Uniforms 302 will be sure to have fans on the edge of their seats. For most of the playoff field has been pretty lucky at the 1.5-mile track set in Las Vegas. Uh, Multiple drivers have posted wins at the track, while even more have consistently finished in the top 10. We're going to take a look at the whole playoff uh, field here at the track in Sin City. And we go two-by-two here as well, Sharon. Yeah, I'll go ahead and start with Sam Mayer, the driver of the number one junior motorsports. Chevrolet has two starts at the track with a best finish of 25th. And then Brandon Jones, the driver of the number 19, Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota, has 11 starts at Las Vegas with two top fives and eight top tens. His best finish is third in 2019 and again in 2021 he has an average start of 12.1 with an average finish of 9.3 now austin hill driver of the number 21 richard childress racing chevrolet he only has two starts at the track a best finish of 17th but having a very good year josh berry he's driver of the number eight junior motorsports chevrolet he's got one more start with three at the track, uh, doesn't contain a victory, 2021, and then two top fives and three top tens. The average start is 8.7. Average finish is 4.0. Impressive. Justin Algauer, the driver of the number seven junior motorsports Chevrolet, has 16 starts at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. He's got eight top fives and 13 top tens. He has a best finish of second in three years, uh, 2011, 2018, and again in 2021. His average start is 10.3. His average finish is at 7.9. Ty Gibbs, the driver of the number 54, Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota, is the most recent Xfinity Series winner at Las Vegas. In his two starts, he's posted one win that came earlier this year, one top five, and one top 10. 
Well, a couple others with some impressive stats here, the top two in the standings for that reason. A.J. Allmendinger, mm-hmm. driver of the number 16 college racing Chevrolet, three starts at Las Vegas, the Las Vegas track, also has one win in 2021, one top five, three top tens, and a pole in 2022. Average start of 4.3 and an average finish of 5.7. And it's going to be tough to beat, but Noah Gregson, driver of the number nine junior motorsport Chevrolet, has a total of seven starts at the track, six top fives, and all seven top tens. He finished runner-up when the Xfinity Series was there earlier this season. The average start of 14.3, but the average finish 3.6. That's the best we saw in that group. Okay, the field is set for the round of eight. After a wild elimination race at Charlotte Motor Speedway's Roval that went into overtime with Colleg Racing's A.J. Amendinger taking his fourth consecutive win at the track, the field is set for the first race in the round of eight at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. The eight drivers still in the hunt for the championship are Noah Gregson, A.J. Allmendinger, Ty Gibbs, Justin Algauer, Josh Berry, Austin Hill, Brandon Jones, and Sam Mayer. We just gave you all of their stats. Now, with a new round comes three new opportunities to make it into that championship four group at Phoenix Raceway on November 5th. The first stop is Las Vegas Motor Speedway on October 15th this weekend, followed by Homestead Miami on October 22nd, and then Martinsville is the next elimination race on October the 29th. Any of the eight playoff players could clinch their spot into the championship four with a win at Las Vegas this weekend, but uh, we also want to take a look at uh, how they look heading into the race. As of right now, Noah Gregson, Almondinger, Gibbs, Allgauer, they all sit above the cut line. Gregson leads the pack at 3,056 points, but not far behind him is Almondinger with 3,044 points. Gibbs slides into third in the standings at 3,038 points, followed by Justin Allgauer in that final championship four spot at 3,033 points. Those drivers just outside that cut line are Josh Berry. He's down by 11 points. And Hill, the rookie, is down by 15 points. He's sixth in the standings. And in the last two spots of the round of eight, Brandon Jones down 22 points and Sam Mayer down 28. So we'll see if uh, this first uh, race in the round of eight will make a difference for these drivers. Well, and it's real important there for the two of them you mentioned uh, already, 22 and 28 back, to have a really good first round so they don't get in that must-win situation right away with race number two. Absolutely. My page jumped on me here. Uh, as we look at the Xfinity Series, they pressed their luck there in Las Vegas. They wrapped up the round of 12, which set these eight drivers Uh, That happened at Charlotte Motor Speedway Road Course, and now it's going to kick off this last round with the three tracks we mentioned at Las Vegas Motor Speedway with the ALSCO Uniforms 302. Now, Vegas is that first round of the round of eight for the playoff contenders to earn their spot into the championship four. The 1.5-mile Las Vegas Motor Speedway track has hosted a total of 30 NASCAR Xfinity Series races, This is interesting, producing 22 different race winners 
and 18 different pole winners. And Joe Gibbs Racing's Ty Gibbs became the track's youngest winner when he took the checkered flag earlier this season at 19 years, five months, and one day. Mark Martin sits as the oldest winner with his 2011 win at 52 years, one month, and 24 years old. Cup Series regular Kyle Busch, uh, as a lot of times, holds both the qualifying record at 185.58 miles per hour and the race record at 145.415 miles per hour in the Xfinity Series at Las Vegas. He's also led the most laps at 619, tied for the most poles with Carl Edwards, Matt Kenseth, Mark Martin, and Cole Custer with two. Now, playoff driver Justin Allgaier holds the record for the most top fives at eight, top tens at 13, and lead lap finishes at 14. NASCAR Hall of Famer Mark Martin holds the record for the most Xfinity Series wins at Las Vegas. He has four, coming in 1999, 2005, 2008, and then again in 2011. We mentioned the most recent winner at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. That's playoff driver Ty Gibbs. If he snags another win at the track, not only will he be the first to clinch his spot in the championship four, but also become the second driver in Las Vegas Motor Speedway Xfinity Series history to win to post back-to-back wins. The first and only driver to accomplish, accomplish the feat is Chase Briscoe, as he did it in 2020 for a sweep. Now, this will be the first time that Las Vegas Motor Speedway kicks off this round of eight in the Xfinity Series playoffs. In 2020 and 21 seasons, the Las Vegas track was the first race in the postseason with Chase Briscoe winning the race in 2020, Josh Berry winning it in 2021. Now, Las Vegas was not a postseason track uh, from 2016 to 2019. Things for the Xfinity Series will get rolling with practice uh, at 8.35 p.m. Eastern time, followed by qualifying at 9.05 p.m. Eastern on Friday, October 14th. That will be covered on the USA Network. Okay, another great race. First race in their round of eight, and that's going to hold true for uh, the NASCAR Cup Series as well. They're racing the South Point 400 at Las Vegas Motor Speedway on Sunday, October the 16th, starting at 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time. The purse is hefty, $7,352,089. It will be televised on NBC starting at 2 p.m. Eastern with radio coverage on PRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio 90. They'll be racing a distance of 400.5 miles over 267 laps. Uh, The first stage ends on lap 80. The second stage is 85 laps, ending on lap 165. And then the last lap, the final stage, is 102 laps, ending on lap 267. So what do we have for the Cup Series, Jay? Well, the round of eight, Las Vegas Motor Speedway is a gem in the desert. It's a great city with uh, tons to do, but nothing on the strip this weekend will compare to the drama that Las Vegas Motor Speedway will be dishing up in the 1.5-mile track serves as the jump starter for the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs round of eight with the South Point 400 here on Sunday, October 16th. 
eight playoff contenders will begin their hunt for one of four spots in the championship four round and have a shot at this season's title coming from this weekend at Las Vegas, which is the second to last 1.5 mile track on the schedule. The first uh, NASCAR Cup Series rig at Las Vegas Speedway was held on March 1st, 1998. NASCAR Hall of Famer Dale Jarrett won the poll for the inaugural event, and NASCAR Hall of Famer Mark Martin won the race, he was driving for a Ford for RFK Racing. In total, there's been 29 NASCAR Cup Series races at Las Vegas Motor Speedway coming from 1998 to 2022. The 1.5-mile track has hosted one race per season from 98 to 2017. The 2018 season marked the first time that Las Vegas hosted two NASCAR Cup Series events in a single season, as they have all the way through now 2022. We've had a total of 18 different drivers that have won the pole in the NASCAR Cup Series at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Casey Kane leads the NASCAR Cup Series in polls at Las Vegas with three, coming in 2004, 7, and 12. Kyle Busch leads all active NASCAR Cup Series drivers in polls at Las Vegas Motor Speedway with two at 2008 and then nine. And of the 18 NASCAR Cup Series pole winners at Las Vegas, Seven are active this weekend. Mentioned Kyle Busch with his two. Christopher Bell had one in 2022. Harvick in 19. Eric Jones picked one up in the 18 playoffs. Uh, Ryan Blaney, the other one in 18. Brad Keselowski had one in 2017. And Joey Logano back in 2014. A total of 17 different NASCAR Cup Series drivers have won at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. And eight different drivers have won more than once at the 1.5-mile track. Jimmy Johnson leads the Cup Series and wins at Las Vegas with four victories, in 05, 06, 07, and then again in 2010. Brad Keselowski leads the active drivers in the Cup Series as he has three victories at Las Vegas, coming in 2014, 16, and 18. Of the 17 Cup Series winners at Las Vegas, Eight of them are active this weekend. Two currently playoff contenders, Joey Logano and Denny Hamlin. Of those active race winners, uh, Brad Keselowski with his three. Joey Logano's came in two, two races came in 2020 and 19. Kevin Harvick in 2018 and 15. And it doesn't list the years for Martin Truex, but he also has a pair, I believe. Yeah, I'm did sorry, you start at the top? I'm trying to figure out where you are. I think you really? started at the top. Now is that with that last section, the round of eight Las Vegas Motor Speedway, the gem in the desert. I went off the page here. Uh-huh. Let me go back to where. Next up uh, out of that I show is the clinch scenarios. Well, mine starts, if we're going bottom up, at NASCAR Cup Series featured matchups for the South Point gotcha. 100. Yeah, the Jayski one is uh, missing more. I'll jump over onto what you sent me, I guess. Okay. Yeah, I just, I'm like, where is he? Okay, uh, I'll go ahead and start with William Byron versus Chase Briscoe, uh, the Dark Horses and the Contenders. Whatever you want to call William Byron and Chase Briscoe, they are both in the round of eight. And it was a wild week 
for both of them to reach it. Byron won his appeal and raced well enough to reach the round of eight. And Chase Briscoe was actually below the cut line and set to be eliminated, but uh, pit before the overtime and used his fresh tires to make enough passes and knock reigning champion Kyle Larson into elimination. Now Briscoe stands as the only Stewart House Racing Ford left in the playoffs, while Byron has Hendrick teammate Chase Elliott in the round of eight alongside him. Now both Briscoe and Byron have taken a jump in their careers, showing they are true wheelmen and championship contenders. Both are sitting below the current cut line, but Vegas stands as their first chance to make up some points on the field and set themselves up for the final two races in the round of eight. Well, and we've seen this matchup on the track as well as in the media, Ross Chastain versus Denny Hamlin. It has been a well-documented season of drama between the two. However, it's been a quiet playoffs between them. Hamlin has promised revenge on Chastain, and both now sit in the round of eight. Maybe the time for these two drivers to entangle once again. Chastain raced well here in the spring, bringing home his first top three in Las Vegas. It's also a particularly good track, though, for Hamlin, who has one win and three top fives in his last seven races here. As we currently stand, Hamlin is below the cut line, trailing Chastain by eight points. So expect Hamlin to be pedal to the metal in his pursuit to win his Cup Series championship. Okay, our next uh, matchup is Chase Elliott and Joey Logano. Now, heading to Las Vegas, Elliott sits atop the playoff standings, while Logano is right behind him in second. Both Elliott and Logano have shown consistency throughout the playoffs and find themselves in the outstanding position to qualify for the championship race at Phoenix. But they'll have to take care of business in these next three races, which all starts with Las Vegas this weekend. They're positioned to do so as they both boast driver ratings over 100 at Las Vegas. Logano has two wins in his last seven races here, while Elliott is winless but he does have two top fives. In the spring, Elliott finished ninth here. Logano actually finished 14th. Next there, the last one we got is the fan vote, and that's Christopher Bell versus Ryan Blaney. There's an old saying that tires wins races, and for Christopher Bell, that was true at Charlotte, the Charlotte Roval. He pitted under a light caution, turned out to be the winning move for Bell. As he used a restart to work his way up to second, uh, place before another caution brought out overtime. From there, he, got, he used a good restart to clear Kevin Harvick and go from being eliminated to clinching his spot in the round of eight. Now that the wild round of 12 has passed, both Bell and Ryan Blaney have three races to go before that championship race at Phoenix. Now, first on the list is Las Vegas. Blaney holds a strong advantage in the driver rating, though, at 98.5 to 17.3. But in the spring race, uh, Blaney, I'm sorry, yep, 73.1. I read that wrong. Uh, in this spring race, though, Blaney wrecked and finished 34th, while Bell posted a top 10. Now, they're separated by only three points in the standing, so it'll be a pivotal race there in Sin City. Absolutely. Okay, now the playoffs' biggest moments, uh, the six walk-off wins. 
Christopher Bell's win this past weekend at Charlotte Motor Speedway's Roval was the sixth time in the elimination-style playoff era from 2014 to the current year that a driver below the cut line in points was able to advance to the next round uh, with a win uh, on his way into that next round. There are five other times that that playoff magic happened. In 2014, heading into the round of 12 elimination race at Talladega Super Speedway, it was Brad Keselowski was 10th in the playoff standings. He actually won the race, earning his spot into the round of eight. Also in 2014, heading into the round of eight elimination race at Phoenix Raceway, Kevin Harvick was eighth in the playoff standings and won the race to earn his spot in the championship four rounds. Harvick would then win again the following week at Homestead, Miami in the season finale to pocket his first career Cup Series championship. In 2015, heading into the round of 16 elimination race at Dover Motor Speedway, again, Kevin Harvick was ranked 15th in the playoff standings and won the race, earning his spot into that round of 12. In 2019, heading into the round of eight elimination race, Phoenix Raceway, Denny Hamlin was fifth in the playoff standings and won the race to earn his spot into the championship four round. And then in 2020, heading into the playoff round of eight elimination race at Martinsville Speedway, Chase Elliott was fifth in the playoff standings tied with his Hendrick Motorsports teammate, Alex Bowman, who was in fourth. Well, Elliott won the race, uh, earning his spot into the championship four round. Elliott would then go on to win at Phoenix Raceway the next weekend and take home his first career NASCAR Series title. So uh, pretty cool and some big moments in the playoff uh, format. Well, we'll see if we get any more from the Elite Eight as the playoff challengers at Las Vegas uh, Speedway. Only eight drivers left in the playoffs to decide who's going to win the 2022 NASCAR Cup Series Championship. And of those eight, only two are former winners at this weekend's Las Vegas Motor Speedway, Logano and Hamlin. So with so much on the line heading into this Sunday, we'll take a look at the career performances of the eight playoff drivers at Las Vegas. I'll scroll down here. Uh, Chase Briscoe, you want to do two two by two here? Yeah, let's do two by two. All right, so Chase Briscoe enters the round of eight as the number eight seed. Uh, He's now back nine points from the championship four cut line. In six playoff starts this season, he's posted one top five and three top tens. Average finish in the postseason is 13.0. This season is the first time he has advanced the round of eight here in 2022. Briscoe's made three starts, or made three series starts at Las Vegas, posting a best finish of 14th in the race last season. He finished 35th at the 1.5-mile track earlier this season due to an incident. Denny Hamlin, he's entering the round of eight as the number seven seed behind five points from the cut line. In six playoff starts this season, he's posted three top fives and five top tens. His average finish in the postseason, 6.8, which is best among playoff contenders. Season is the seventh time he's advanced to the round of eight, coming in 2014, 16, 
2017 and then 2019 through the current year of 2022. Hamlin has made 21 series starts at Las Vegas. He's got one victory, five top fives, and ten top tens. Another one uh, had an issue. He finished 32nd at Las Vegas earlier this season, though, due to a drivetrain issue. Okay, next up we've got Ryan, I'm sorry, William Byron, uh, entering the round of eight as the number six seed, back three points from the championship four cut line. In six playoff starts this season, he has one top five and four top tens. His average finish in the postseason is 8.7. This season is the first time that he has advanced to the round of eight. Ian Byron has made nine starts at Las Vegas, posting one top five three top tens, and he finished fifth at Las Vegas earlier this season. Ryan Blaney is the number five seed entering the round of eight. He's back three points from the championship four cut line. And in six playoff starts this season, he has two top fives and three top tens. His average finish this postseason is 14.0. This season is the fourth time that he's advanced to the round of eight. He did it in 17, 19, 21, and 22. Now, Blaney's made 12 starts at Las Vegas, posting five top fives and eight top tens. He finished 36 at the 1.5-mile track earlier this season, again due to an incident. Now, Christopher Bell now enters the round of eight above the cut line. He's the number four seed up three points. In six playoff starts this season, he has posted the one win coming here at the Charlotte Road Course, four top fives, and an average finish this postseason is 10.7. This season is the first time he has advanced to the round of eight here in 2022. He's made a total of five starts at the Las Vegas Speedway, posting two top tens, one of being a a 10th place finish at the 1.5-mile track earlier this year. And Ross Chastain, he enters the round of eight in the number three spot, up six points on the championship four-round cut line. And the six playoff starts on the year, posted one top five and three top ten finishes. His average finish during the postseason, a 14.5. Now, this season is the first time for 2022 that he's advanced to the round of eight. Chastain has made eight series starts at Las Vegas, where he's posted one top five. It was a strong third-place finish at the 1.5-mile track earlier this year. Okay, next up we have Joey Logano. Uh, He's the number two seed in the round of eight, and he's up 11 points on the round of four, uh, the championship four cut line. In six playoff starts this season, he's put up two top fives. His average finish in the postseason, however, is 15.8. This season is the eighth time that he's advanced to the round of eight, from 2014 to 16, and from 2018 to 22. Logano has made 18 series starts at Las Vegas. He's posted one pole, two wins, six top fives, 11 top tens. However, he finished 14th at Las Vegas earlier this season. Last up is Chase Elliott entering the round of eight as the number one seed. He's up 31 points on the championship four round cut line. In six playoff starts this season, he's posted one win at Talladega. He also has two top fives. His average finish this postseason, however, is 17.0. 
This season is the sixth time that Chase Elliott has advanced to the round of eight. He did it from 2017 to 22. Now, Elliott's made 11 series starts at the track, posting three top fives and five top tens. He finished ninth at Las Vegas earlier this year. Well, and ringing that bell, mentioned Christopher Bell, just put everyone on notice. This is Joe Gibbs Racing's driver shot out of a cannon to start the 2022 NASCAR Cup Series playoff as the only driver to score top fives in the first three races, clinching his spot into the next round early. But then in the round of 12, he skidded out, literally at Texas at 34th, and Talladega at 17th, putting himself below the cut line for the round of eight, heading into last weekend's elimination race. But the Oklahoma stormed back into contention with a massive walk-off win at the Charlotte Motor Speedway road course. The victory not only earned him a spot in the next round of the playoffs, but it put everyone back on notice that he is a titled contender this season. Now that their points are reseeded, uh, re- he finds himself ranked fourth in the playoff standings, three points up on that championship four cut line. It's the first time in Bell's career he's advanced to the round of eight. At 27, year old, 27 years old, he's having the best season of his young cup career, putting up a season-to-date driver rating at 91.3, which is third best. He's got two victories, uh, New Hampshire and the Charlotte Road Course, 11 top fives, 18 top tens, and four poles. He's led a total of 419 laps, an average finish of 13.8. We look to this weekend. Again, Bell has five starts with two top tens, won the pole, and finished 10th at the Vegas race earlier this year. Yes, indeed. I can't wait to see what Christopher Bell does this weekend out at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Okay, we are at the top of the hour, and that means it is time for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off with our Stanford Racing crew. And joining us for tonight's show uh, are Andy Lasky. Welcome to the show, Andy. Hey, how's it going? It's good to have you back. It's going good. And also, Tommy Kraft, welcome to the show, Tommy. Hey, how are y'all? Thanks for having me back. All right. All right. Uh, We are going to go ahead and get started with our hot topics. And, uh, Andy, I'm going to call on you uh, to bring up our first hot topic for tonight. Yeah, this one, might as well just get this one out of the way. Um, Cole Custer and the 41 Stewart Haas Racing Team were fined 100 points, and the driver was fined $100,000, and the crew chief, Mike Shiplett, indefinitely suspended and fined $100,000 because, in the view of NASCAR, were in violation of manipulating the uh, Charlotte Roval Cup Series event. All right, Tommy, your thoughts about that penalty for Cole Custer and Stuart Haas Racing? Yeah, this was all over Twitter this week, uh, kind of a controversial thing, I guess. Um, I did see where Tony Stewart is so mad at NASCAR that he said that if it wasn't for the appearances he has to make at the next few races at the track, he wouldn't even go to the rest of the races this year. So he's pretty mad. Um, but, um, I mean, the biggest reference that everybody was talking about on Twitter was how Chase Elliott blocked Kevin Harvick last year at Bristol and Kyle Larson was able to win. Um, 
and Cole Custer kind of sort of did the same thing, except Briscoe uh, was able to go by and, you know, get the points he needed to advance to the round of eight. I, I don't know. To me, I feel like why not just let it slide, but obviously NASCAR thought it was an issue, so they found them, and they, you know, they made that call, but, uh, you know, kind of wish there was just more clarification on things, and, uh, but yeah, it's just kind of, you know, everybody was just pointing out on Twitter how crazy it is that Chase Elliott basically did the same thing, and it was fine, and then this happens to Chase Briscoe with Cole Custer, and it's a problem, but I mean, they did let uh, Chase Briscoe keep his points, and they said there wasn't an issue with Chase Briscoe. They just got Cole Custer for all three positions. But, I mean, especially what Elliot did with Harvick, but anyway. Okay, Jay, your thoughts? Well, I think we could spend an entire two-hour-plus show on this one hot topic alone. <laughs> as, uh, as Tommy mentioned, I mean, Twitter is one thing. I've listened to it on SiriusXM morning, noon, and evening for about three days now. Um, and there's a lot of different takes on it. If as NASCAR feels that he attempted, the team attempted, let me be clear, the team attempted to manipulate the race to ensure Chase goes in. Um, that's what they're going with and they're penalized for. Now, uh, I know Tommy brought up the Chase Elliott deal. They already referenced that in saying that Chase it acted alone and wasn't given team orders. Um, so that was the difference in their mind when it comes to that. Um, the other one I know Mike and I had had this discussion over several hot topics going back to the Michael Waltrip deal where then Jeff Gordon was on the outside looking in and then NASCAR put him in as a 13th into the round, a 13th driver into the round of 12. NASCAR immediately said that that would not be the case here. One of the biggest things was at the time when it happened, Briscoe had already raced his way in. All it was add insurance points. Uh, he, I think he had, if, a, if there was a tiebreaker, he held the tiebreaker, and that just added to how much he got in by. He was already in on his own. They did say, however, if that had been different, then the penalty would have probably even been more severe. With the um, audio that they've matched up and the instruction and the way it happened, Mike Shiplett, the one calling as the crew chief, calling for Custer to check up because he had a tire going down. They didn't feel that he could make that call from his position on the track and that the data, all the data, uh, braking, steering, and all this other technology data they could obtain that there was no indication of that so there was no way that Mike Shipley know that feel it or sense it and especially give the direction to check up you know you may say hey you feel a tire are you having an issue something to that effect but the fact that it didn't come from the driver and then reported on by the spotter as is usually the case during the race especially during the closing laps of a race of hey can you ride it out and get your best position I think really led NASCAR to feel like this was done intentionally. So there's so much to unpack with it. Um, I understand NASCAR's position. I mean, they have made it quite clear they don't want any kind of team orders, team direction, or manipulation of a finish of a race in order to ensure somebody else. However, I think they've opened a huge, 
huge can of worms <laughs> when it comes to this. And I'll go around that on the second go round or fifth round. <laughs> like I said, we could go a couple hours on this. Okay. Yeah, this is this is uh, a little bit surprising uh, that they went this far, but uh, Scott Miller did give his justification. He said that the difference between the Chase Briscoe incident and the incident with um, uh, Cole Custer is that Mike Shiplett uh, basically told him to check up. He might have a tire going down. And so uh, the fact that he checked up uh, held up those drivers behind him, and that's uh, what allowed uh, Chase Briscoe to, to get around and uh, uh, put himself into that next round of eight. But here's the thing. Chase Briscoe was already in the round of eight due to a tiebreaker. That incident had nothing to do with Chase Briscoe being in that next round of eight. Um, and that's what I think is kind of confusing is that uh, even if it, it, it did happen, I'm against team orders, I'm against the manipulation of the race, but that incident had absolutely nothing to do with Chase Briscoe getting into the next round of eight. And that's where, um, uh, and, and I know uh, Scott Miller did tell everybody that, that uh, that's why they were not making any changes to the round of eight because uh, Chase Briscoe had made it in on his own without that incident. So I, I get that NASCAR is uh, also against team orders. Uh, they don't want it to happen. Um, and, uh, again, I think Jay outlined it very well. Uh, there are basically the two reasons why they acted in the way that they did. Uh, but I got to say, um, Stuart House Racing was hit very hard with the incident, with the penalty for Kevin Harvick, and then this penalty and the indefinite suspension of uh, Mike Shiplett. So it's, it was a hard hit. It's understandable why Tony Stewart is upset about it, um, but um, it, it's, uh, it, it, I just wish NASCAR would be more consistent so that we all know uh, where that line is. I think they drew a line this week, but um, it is confusing that there were some other incidents where nothing ever happened. Andy? Yeah, you know, and that's and that's kind of, you know, my thoughts on it too. You know, obviously it, it's really frustrating to see an incident like that happen. We've talked on this show numerous other occasions about how we we don't as race fans like to see team orders or you know manipulating the race you know to generate an outcome so you hate to see it it's frustrating especially you know because as a fan of the 14 car you know i'm super happy that they put together a performance that allowed them to advance and having followed the whole race i know that there was no team orders or anything at least on their channel and so in my mind, I'm like, oh, cool, they, they made it to the next round on their own accord, you know, via hard work, you know, and then this incident happens and I feel like it tarnishes it and, you know, people's, not everyone's opinion, but a lot of opinions are, well, he shouldn't be there. He only got there because of a teammate, which, as you've already outlined, isn't true. He actually did hold the tiebreaker on points, but it just, you hate to see it because it now tarnishes that accomplishment. So, but 
I think for me, you know, the issue that I have is isn't the penalty. Um, I'm I'm good with the penalty because no matter who the team is, if they're found to be in violation of manipulating the race, they should be penalized for it. And in this case, they they being NASCAR determined there was enough evidence that warranted a penalty. So I'm good with it. You know, I think that the penalty fits the crime. However. I think my problem is the, the inconsistencies that we've seen with, mm. with the non-calls in the past. And you've already outlined one example with the nine last year at Bristol. I mean, and, and then another example uh, a couple of years ago at Martinsville where Eric Jones was told not to pass Denny Hamlin. That was a direct team order, which is a mm-hmm. manipulation of race results. And so, you know, you look at both of those examples, and which are both, examples of manipulating race results or the outcome of the race and nothing was done about it. Um, you know, and, you know, I will, I will admit that, that what took place with the 41 is, is pretty questionable and you can, you can see why the penalty took place, but it's really the same thing. Manipulating a race is manipulating a race. And I, I think the problem I have is the fact that NASCAR basically said that it's okay for a driver you know, in the Chase Elliott example, to manipulate race results, but it's not okay for the team itself to do it, which I think is complete BS. I mean, manipulating a race <laughs> is manipulating a race. So it's like, you know, how is it okay for a driver to do it, but it's not okay for a, for a crew chief to do it? So that's that's the problem I have is if we're going to – it's okay that we have these penalties because, you know, none of us as race fans want to see – fabricated or manipulated race results. I don't like seeing it as much as anyone else does. But if we're going to if we're going to have these severe penalties, let's let's make it consistent, you know, across the board and let's let's not have it be certain race teams and drivers. Let's have it be everybody because you get the feeling sometimes that, you know, certain people are given free passes or maybe, you know, there's a blind eye turned toward them and other teams maybe are hit just a little bit harder. So I'm not going to sit here and say that that's the case or not but it seems that way sometimes when you look at the non-calls that have been taking place or taking place in the past versus you know what some other teams have been hit with penalties and and so I guess from my perspective you just want to see it be consistent so I think to Jay's point this does open up a big can of worms because you know the message that I got out of this week was it you know it's okay for a driver to to go out there and 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 block and you know race somebody hard or or basically determine the outcome of a race so long as the team doesn't do it so i think that this is a very slippery slope that that really probably could have been you know handled a little bit differently um but it, it is what it is you know and so um, but to kind of close out my own thoughts, like like I said earlier, the penalty was warranted based off the results they found, and, and you, know, you hate to see it, but they earned it. They earned that penalty, but just need to see some consistency, um, you know, in doing this with with any of these incidents, um, whether it be a driver that does it, or you know, a team that calls for it, or whatever the case may be. Um, you know, I and I think also you know policing policing it's a tough call that in a tough position that nascar is put into um you know it, it's unfortunate they have to be put in this position of determining what is considered race manipulation and what's not um but you know when you have 
past examples that are essentially the same thing that are somehow considered okay, it, it is frustrating to see. So, um, you know, maybe moving forward, hopefully they can maybe outline the rules a little bit more so that people know exactly what's okay and what's not. Um, but either way, you hate to see, you know, manipulation of re- race results and, and um, you know, the outcomes of finishes determined. But unfortunately, you know, in, in auto racing, team orders and, and um, you know, teammate help is probably always going to be there. It's extremely blatant in Formula One and other forms of, of motorsports where team orders are pretty much an every week thing. So I don't know if you'll ever see it go away completely, but, um, you know, maybe a little more clarity on what's acceptable and what's not would be good because it's left me scratching my head in, in terms of, you know, how one incident can be okay and, and one isn't. Okay. Tommy, your follow-up. Yes, I kind of have to agree with what Andy's saying here about the consistency part because um, it does look like NASCAR is playing a favorite sometimes with calling it and then sometimes calling it. But um, what I was going to say is is this. The reason why I said let it slide and not find him or penalize him is because, I mean – there is the the driver is going to get communicated to that, like you know, hey, Chase is in front of you, you know, he's trying to get into the playoffs. Let's help him out. I mean, that communication is just going to be. It, they're just going to pass it along, spotter, uh, spotter, crew chief, you know, whatever. So I mean, of course, their friends will help them block so they can, you know, whatever. But I mean, that's racing, and I mean, I don't see. I get the altering the positions thing, but I I mean it's kind of just common sense. Like they're going to help each other out. I mean that's just the way it goes. Um, I mean it's, it kind of plays into the strategy type ordeal. I just I don't I don't like it. I mean Chase Elliott blocked Kevin Harvick and, and that allowed Kyle Larson to win. That wasn't a penalty because they said that you know it was a driver doing it or whatever. He acted alone. I mean they were beefing beforehand and I get that but he still basically blocked Kevin Harvick while he was in the lead and Chase was probably a lap down at this point and Kyle Larson passed Kevin Harvick and won the race. That seems like altering a position to me and it was a no call. Um, But it helped Chase get into the playoffs so that's the only reason why they're getting Cole uh, Cole Custer penalty. But um, they didn't find Chase, which I like because, I mean, Chase was just racing. His friend was helping him out. That's why I think it should be a let it slide type deal. Okay, Jay, your thoughts? Well, Sharon, you can't take my thoughts because uh, Andy and Tommy then followed up on him, pretty much did. <laughs> um, which, I mean, and that tells you, if everybody's got the same thought process, obviously NASCAR had to do something. You can't let it slide because then it just keeps happening. It's very unfortunate, and as I said, this is going to create a bigger thing. The question I have, I'm going to leave the Chase Elliott one alone for a minute um, as I try and work Mike into my thoughts here, but going to, uh, Andy said it, and I wouldn't have remembered what race, uh, Martinsville, Eric Jones was told, do not pass Benny Hamlin. Mm -hmm. I mean, how does that not? So that's where, like we've all said, of that inconsistency. Then you go to the Chase Elliott situation, though. And the other one I would use there is Denny Hamlin and Ross Chastain. 
The rule, as NASCAR has written it, is you give 100% for the best position, finishing position of your team. If you're out there driving to stop somebody else, you are not driving 100% to the best finish of your team. Whether it's driver acting alone out of anger, I, I get that, I understand that, but you are not giving 100% for the best finish of your team then. Uh, your, your goal is to not let somebody else move, whether it's for a playoff point, stage points, race win, advance to the next round, doesn't matter. You are not giving 100% for your team. The bigger problem, too, then, is if they say, okay, we've got to be more consistent, where do you draw the line? And I know this is obsolete, but the biggest thing that got referenced is allowing a driver to lead a lap. Back when we got points for leading a lap. But you think about it. When we have restarts where one driver will go to the outside, give second place the inside, and they fall in line, work together. Super speedway racing. You move up a lane to get match up with another driver, manufacturer, teammate, otherwise, to pick them up and make a charge to the front. Where do you draw the line of what is manipulating the final outcome of a race? And that's where teams, I mean, are essentially putting NASCAR in this position to make that kind of judgment call and have to do this. So they just need to not do it. <laughs> yeah, I do agree with that, Jay, is the, that the teams are kind of putting NASCAR in this position of having to make a call. Um, uh, you guys have brought up some excellent examples that were no calls by NASCAR. And uh, it is a head scratcher as to why they drew the line in the sand at this particular point. Um, my thing is, I wish there was a way that NASCAR could make these calls in the race, uh, you know, because if, if, if they'd done that, then maybe they could have parked Cole Custer at that point uh, and, and uh, done something. But, again, that's kind of a mute point when you think about uh, the consistency or inconsistency that we've seen over the years. Another example that I think of is, remember when uh, Kyle Busch spun his truck to help out John Hunter Nemechek? Uh, a lot of people questioned that, and NASCAR made a no call. And at that point, what we were kind of hearing, uh, the kind of the scuttlebutt was, uh, you know, Kyle Busch never admitted it. He, never, he had no comment. He didn't comment on it. He never admitted that that's what he did. He kind of smiled, and we all kind of knew what that meant, but he did not admit it. Uh, that's where uh, I think William Byron got into trouble with his penalty. He admitted it, and that's what got him into trouble. I think that's a mistake as well. <laughs> I think if it's obvious enough uh, that you can tell that they purposely did something to manipulate the race. I think NASCAR needs to make that call during the race and not wait two or three days in order to make that call. There's replays in football. Why can't there be replays and time out for NASCAR to review it right then and there and make the call? I don't understand it. But inconsistency, I think, is, is one of the biggest issues. Andy. Yeah, I mean, you know, and part of it too, I, I think in in particular with the the Custer incident is, I'm not even sure you could really put a lot of the blame on the driver himself. I mean, sure he was driving the car, but I mean, 
you know, having heard the the audio that was played, you know, the crew chief kind of exclaimed, he kind of exclaimed, you know, rather loudly that, you know, check up, you got a flat tire. And for all we know, that startled Cole and he let off the gas, you know, you know, certainly I think if someone were yelling at me in in my ear, you know, I'd, I'd probably be startled by that. And, you know, I don't, I'd be curious to know, and I haven't heard, as if they were giving him detailed information on that last lap about where the 14 was or not. That I have not heard. But, but nonetheless, you know, in Cole's case, you know, you know, with someone yelling at you to check up, you get a flat tire, you, you probably would maybe check up momentarily and feel it out and see if what they're saying is true or not. You know, so I don't even know that I really put the blame on Custer in this case, you know, so I, I hate to see the penalty against him personally. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, it's unfortunate that, that this is the big news of the week. You know, we just finished up the round of 12. You know, we start the new round of eight this weekend. And, you know, you would want the the storyline to be about, you know, the round opener in mm-hmm. Las Vegas this weekend. And um, kind of unfortunate that we're talking about a massive penalty like this. But um, hopefully – you know, we don't see this the rest of the playoffs, and you also hope that you know teams maybe learn from this and see the example that was was set here um, with this penalty, and you hope that maybe it'll people will refrain from from doing such things moving forward. One can only hope. Okay, Tommy, what do you have for us? Okay, let's go with the um, Tyler Reddick. Um, there's an announcement this weekend about 23XI, I believe, and Kurt Busch. Um, and there's rumors that Tyler Reddick has been bought out from RCR and will join 23XI next year. Okay. Uh, Jay, your thoughts? Well, the way the way Tommy said it there, I think it's a little backwards. It's The rumor is that Reddick has been bought out and will be moving over we don't know Kurt Busch's status. We're assuming a lot with that. I I hadn't seen anything yet, though, as far as Kurt Busch's status. Um, 23-11 buying out Reddick, unless they're the ones that got a third charter and are going to go to three teams at least for a year or two, uh, maybe long term, um, really didn't make sense. The only conclusion is is that maybe Kurt Busch might not be ready to come back or come back at all. Uh, which is very unfortunate. Uh, it's kind of, we kind of thought that would happen, even though RCR kept saying he was the one that had a third charter and was going to keep him for a third year. And, you know, that might have been a, I want to say a revenge tactic uh, of that, of, hey, I have to let you go in 2024, but I can keep you here next year. But it'd also be at a cost, as we mentioned, for a third charter or running the team without a charter, whatever they opted to do with him at RCR. So, it doesn't surprise me. The only concern I have then is the fact that they are now doing this. Um, I, I don't get a good feeling about Kurt Busch's uh, future um, that I feel, I feel like he may end up retiring due to this in, uh, concussion situation. Okay. Andy? Yeah, this is an interesting development for sure. Um, from a financial standpoint, from Richard Childers Racing, it makes it makes perfect business sense. Um, you know, they would have to invest millions in obtaining a charter to start a third car. Um, 
you know, so instead of doing that, presumably, you know, they made money by Reddick's contract being bought out. So it makes sense for that to happen. And it also makes sense for Tyler to begin his tenure at 23-11, where he'll be probably for the long term. Um, but like Jay said, uh, it makes me pretty concerned about Kurt Busch's future. I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe he might even have a press conference set up for this weekend at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, uh, which further ties into all this, I think. So um, if this is how Kurt Busch goes out, uh, it's really disheartening. Um, I think that given his success and his long tenure in the sport, you know, it would be nice to see him have a full retirement season, but obviously his health is paramount and must be number one and, and maybe maybe he just can't come back. And if that's the case, I think that would be understandable um, given, you know, this head injury that he's been dealing with. Um, But uh, so we'll see what happens with that. But um, obviously an interesting development in all this, um, you know, so we'll we'll see what what happens with the Kurt Busch uh, press conference this weekend, but certainly would would really hate hate it if this um, if this is the way that he has to end his career. Yes, indeed. Uh, this started with a post by Lee Spencer saying that uh, she's hearing that Tyler Reddick's contract has been bought out from RCR Racing, and he will join 2311 Racing next year. An announcement is expected this weekend at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. That ties into the announcement that you just referenced, Andy, with Kyle Bo- Kurt Busch uh, scheduled to make an announcement this week as well. So if you think about it, a lot is kind of um, on hold until Kurt Busch does make an announcement about what, whether he's coming back or whether he's going to be retired or what's going on. Okay, I'm going to have to uh, make an announcement myself here uh, for just a few minutes for our first-time listeners. We always let you know that we are going off the air at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time, but we are going to continue our conversation, and that will be recorded as part of our bonus overtime material that's available on our podcast. I'll go out uh, on Twitter and Facebook as soon as we finish up here to let you know that the podcast is available. And at that point, you can go to our player at com and just fast forward to that two-hour mark to hear the rest of the conversation. Again, we don't want anybody to be caught off guard, which is why we make the announcement. Uh, but, um, yeah, I think to get back to our topic here, I do think that a lot is, is uh, uh, pending based on the announcement by uh, Kurt Bush, and I don't think it's any coincidence that Lee Spencer is saying this about Tyler Reddick uh, going into the same weekend at the same track uh, where Kurt Bush is expected to make an announcement. So I think all of that's going to be tied in together. And uh, I, yeah, we don't necessarily like to see a driver go out, and, you know, based on an injury. Um, but um uh, I think his health is most important, and uh, it, it kind of reminds you of Dale Jr. when Dale Jr. made the decision not to race anymore because of his situation, very similar to what happened to Kurt Busch. So uh, we'll see what happens this weekend out at Las Vegas, but it sounds like uh, there's going to be some announcements, and we'll know more then. Tommy? I actually saw on Twitter today where Kurt if Kurt Busch does retire uh, next year, that 
he is the last active driver to have raced with Dale Earnhardt. So, um, kind of crazy. But, um, yeah, you know, I hope that – so he does have an announcement at Vegas this weekend, and I'm really hoping it's not, hey, I'm retiring, because I really want to see him at least do one more year and, um, you know, have a – do one more year and then retire, at least not cut a season short and have to end your career due, due to a concussion. But, I mean, that's his decision, and, uh, you know, if that's what the doctor's telling him to do, then he definitely should do it because – uh, you know, head trauma in NASCAR and the NFL, it, you know, it's common in boxing mm-hmm. and stuff. So these guys are starting to smarten up and, and, and retire. And, uh, you know, that's probably a good thing. So if that's his decision. But to be honest, um, I'm also kind of not surprised. I was already thinking when Kyle Bush was told that, you know, I'm going to RCR. And Richard Childress said he was, you know, upset with Richard uh, with Tyler Reddick, but you know Tyler Reddick was still going to compete for a championship this year. I was already thinking, I was like, why don't they just go ahead and get rid of him now instead of making him go there in 2024? And then that's actually kind of sounds like what's about to happen if his contract was just bought out. So, but if Kurt doesn't retire, then they got to find somewhere to put him um, if they're going to do a third car. But yeah, apparently, uh, like Jay was saying, there is another charter that's been bought, I believe, but we don't know who has that charter yet, so um, that'll be interesting to see. Okay, Jay, your follow-up? Yeah, I I guess I didn't realize that it had been announced that Kurt Busch has a separate uh, announcement to make, um, which all just kind of the pieces leading together uh, does not look good for his future, and we've all said it, and no matter what the sport, um, I know other sports have had it where a player driver, whatever it be, doesn't really have the option to retire on their terms. Um, and that, and that's unfortunate, uh, you know, with Kurt Busch. And, and I think even, a, you know, in this case, it's a health injury, but I think back to Matt Kenseth, who kind of got pushed out the door, mm-hmm. um, not by his choosing, um, not necessarily in his prime, but still capable of winning and contending in races and championships. So, just hate to see that, that it's not when a driver wants to. You know, we talk about Jimmy Johnson walking away when he chose to, when he wanted to, and that's what you like to see. Um, so we'll have to wait and see what Kurt Busch's announcement is, how this all plays out and gets confirmed. A um, lot of moving pieces. Uh, I think we've said this before, but it seems to be this is a fairly big, silly season all the way around. And I know Spire Motorsports has an announcement coming yet. There's some things going on. These charters, obviously always a a big topic. So see what happens and gets announced there at Las Vegas. And uh, I guess we'll talk about it next week and just wish the best for Kurt Busch. Okay, Andy? Uh, Yeah, really not a whole lot to follow up here on. Um, Just, um, you know, interested to see how this does come to fruition. I'm sure that we'll know more after any announcements and, and certainly after Kurt's press conference this weekend. So um, be curious to see uh, what they wind up announcing. Yes, indeed. I mean, it would be really cool if Kurt's coming back uh, to announce that he's uh, going to be able to race again uh, before the season is over. Uh, I suppose that still is an option, but, uh, you know, maybe Tyler Reddick, um it says he's going to join 2311, so that would be a third car if Kurt does come back. 
but um, I, I think it's more likely to be what we've already outlined here, uh, that he's going to announce a retirement and Tyler Reddick will be uh, taking that spot with 2311. I don't really have a lot to add here, so I'm going to uh, pass it on to Tommy. Tommy, your thoughts? Yeah, I don't really have much more to add to it either. Just was going to say that I really hope that it's not a retirement speech, but, I mean, being that Vegas is his home track and Kyle Busch too, uh, you know, it just seems like the stars are kind of aligning that way that it's going to be a retirement speech. But, um, you know, either way, it sounds like Tyler Reddick's going to get balled out. So even even if Kurt Busch doesn't retire – sounds like Tyler Reddick's going to be a 23X sign next year, which I already thought was going to happen because, like I said, I saw RCR's comments, like Richard Schuller's months ago when he first heard about Tyler Reddick, how upset he was. So, not really surprised to hear it. But, um, I just hope that it's not a retirement speech, but, um, sounds like that's what it's going to be. Okay. Uh, Jay, you get to bring up our next hot topic. Well, we got several good ones listed. I think some of them kind of fall under this one. So I'm going to start with uh, there's a Bob Pockers tweet. says, Steve Phelps, speaking at the SBJ World Congress of Sports, says the 2024 schedule will be the most aggressive when it comes to schedule variation. Uh, he wouldn't give details. Obviously, the 2024 schedule is not yet set. Um but that it'd be the most aggressive when it comes to schedule variation. Okay. Andy, your thoughts about it. Uh, I know it seems like it's so premature because it's going to be a while before we see a 2024 schedule, but what are your thoughts about what they're saying about the aggressiveness of this one? Well, I mean, I I think change is good sometimes, you know, and, and I like what we've seen, you know, in schedule changes the past couple of years, obviously we had predominantly the same schedule for almost 20 years and NASCAR, and I applaud them for this, has been aggressive with making some changes, you know, listening to the fans, you know, for the longest time, everyone wanted short tracks and road courses and, and they have made some of those changes. And, you know, I think that they've made some positive changes with the schedule, you know, whether it be the LA Coliseum or, you know, Circuit of the Americas, some of these road courses that made um, North Wilkesboro making a return for the all-star race. That's a big deal for next year. So they've, they've been aggressive in, in making, you know, more changes than we've seen uh, recently. And so I, it excites me that they are considering uh, a sizable revamp for 2024 you know, I'd be curious to see what that entails. Um, you know, I think that, you know, maybe we start to see a situation where, you know, tracks, you know, rotate in and off the schedule. You know, maybe that means that, you know, just because we raced at a certain track this year doesn't mean we'll do it the following year, but maybe that means that it makes a return at some point. So, I don't know. I think that, you know, if you make significant changes, it keeps things interesting. It, it keeps it fun. And I, I think that, um, you know, keeping it, you know, changing, you know, frequently and keeping it diverse is what makes the Cup Series um, one of the most diverse forms of motorsports in the world. So uh, I'd be welcome, you know, it'd be a welcome change, you know, to see uh, the schedule revamped, you know, and I'm sure there'll be some 
you know, races that remain, obviously the Daytona 500 is not probably not going anywhere. Um, you know, Coke 600, Southern 500 tracks like that, races like that, certainly the marquee events, I think will always have a place on the cup series schedule, but it would be interesting to see new markets, new ideas, um, come to fruition. I think, uh, there's a lot of, um, you know, I think, um, trying to look for the right word here. There's a lot of, um, you know, uh, excitement building around that street course in Chicago for next year. And I'd have to think that if that is successful and does well, that um, maybe that's an idea for down the road. Maybe we start to see, you know, occasional street courses come and go in various uh, parts of the United States and maybe even outside of the country. So I think there's a lot to be excited about when they make a comment about the 2024 schedule um, you know, maybe being one of the most sizable changes we've seen in recent years, um, I'd be all for it. Yeah, we kind of had a discussion about this, I think it was on Monday, about the amount of change that everybody's dealing with within NASCAR. But I think that's been the case for a long time now. Uh, change is just part of the norm uh, within NASCAR. But I do think making this announcement now well in advance of the 2024 schedule, uh, gives some of these teams and drivers a chance to kind of get used to the idea that there's going to be a shakeup in this schedule for that 2024 season. So I, I kind of see this as a strategy play by NASCAR uh, in order to prep the, the teams and the drivers and everybody that's involved, the, the fans, uh, include them in on that. Uh, to kind of prepare all of us uh, for those changes. NASCAR is becoming a very out-of-the-box thinker. And, if, you know, I think about with the COVID, uh, NASCAR kind of led the way for all sports on how to uh, come back from the COVID uh, outbreak and keep your sport going, uh, even, even with that uh, COVID break. Uh, they kind of blazed the trail for other motorsports to do the same. And uh, I applaud them for being the trailblazers that they are. Uh, I thought that the, it was a big success to go to the Coliseum. I know they're going to do that again in 2023. I'm guessing uh, that it's going to be uh, a big announcement for where that's going to be in 2024. Um but what we're hearing is that it's going to be new venues. Uh, it's going to be, uh, you know, different types of things, uh, similar to the street course uh, race that we were talking about at Chicago Land Speed, uh, not at Chicago, but on the Chicago uh, street race. Um, but uh, sometimes I think this is just, mainly a strategy play for NASCAR to prepare everybody for more change that's coming down the pike. Uh, and I think it's a good move on their part. And Tommy, I skipped you. I apologize. What are your thoughts? So um, I saw, I, I saw this, that tweet as well about how the 2024 schedules will be aggressive. Um, and I also saw the other day where is the other city that they're eyeballing besides Chicago to do the street course race is um, New York. So um, that was the only new venue that I heard of or, or saw of on Twitter. Um, but 
like you said, they're going to bring that to Coliseum next year. Atlanta's going to be a night race next year, which those are two, you know, I'm excited for that Atlanta night race. I think that's going to be awesome. Because um, now that's a super speedway, so it's basically another super speedway race at night to go along with the Daytona one, of course. And I feel like usually now the Daytona 500 ends in, in a, a night race. But um, so, like Andy said, they're not going to get rid of some races and tracks. Like Daytona 500 is going to stay. The Coca-Cola 600 is going to stay. Um, and then some other races. Yeah, Darlington's going to stay. They're not going to get rid of that. They're not going to get rid of Bristol or Martinsville. They're not going to get rid of Talladega for sure. So those races would stay, in my opinion. The rest of the tracks would be maybe a toss-up. But uh, I would just be excited to see what else they're going to do besides the Chicago street course and uh, New York uh, street course if they, you know, do do that, of course. But, hey, North Wilkesboro is back next year for the All-Star race. So are they going to do some revivals? I saw where they're going to repay Rockingham. Uh, I mean, you know, does this mean more racing? Because we've already got 36 races a year. Does it mean the Xfinity and Truck Series are going to be going to a bunch of different tracks? But either way, uh, we got to wait a while till uh, we got to wait till probably next year, 2023, like in the towards the end of summer, beginning of fall for that schedule. So we got some time to think about it even longer. Okay, Jay. Well, I thought I was going to get in there without anybody hitting on it, but Tommy kind of did there uh, with the. Rockingham repave was one of them. The the one thing I want to say to start this, uh, I Sharon, you mentioned it, the thinking outside the box. I like that. However, there's something to be said for stability as well. Um, I don't want to see changes being made just to make changes, which I'm not saying NASCAR is doing, but uh, that's kind of been the highlight as of recent of NASCAR is changing it, things every year, that they go too overboard with it. And as I said earlier, Mike kind of got in my head. When we talk about doing different things like the Coliseum, the dirt race, the Rovals now, a street course, I also don't want to see it become too gimmicky of, you know, from that aspect of too many things that are outside of normal oval track racing. Because, again, that is what your foundation is. So I think they do need to be careful with that. Um, watching Race Hub, and I believe this was Tuesday's, as far back as Tuesday's show maybe when they when they talked about this, some of the things that I know have been mentioned is, again, the overseas. I think specifically Monaco was the one that got talked about with Bobby Labonte and Larry McReynolds. Weekday races um, at some of these, and that's where I think maybe a track like Rockingham or uh, North Wilkesboro might come into play because those are close to home for for most of the teams and could be done fairly easy during the week. Which case then, Tommy mentioned, uh, you know, the length of the schedule. That's something drivers have actually talked about of maybe shortening up the schedule or getting more off weekends. So if you do something like that of a weekday race and then a race on that weekend, you could pull a weekend and open it up for an off weekend. Same thing with what they did at Pocono when they had two races at the same venue in a weekend. I thought that was kind of a good idea, and they played around with how they did it. So there are some things I like that they are looking at and, and checking out and 
you know, new markets, I'm always in favor of that. I, I know sometimes I get frustrated some of the markets that they go to or tracks that get left off um, stings a little bit. But if you're opening up new markets and trying new things, it also brings new in. So, uh, and I'm sure they are. Obviously, they're looking at 2024. Obviously, they are thinking ahead long term. Like I said, I just don't want to see them get too aggressive with it where it's, it's too much and, and there's no stability either. Okay, Andy. Yeah, you know, I I think to follow up, I, I I feel you know excited about what the what changes may take place down the road. Um, you know, I like the idea of maybe rotating street courses. I don't necessarily want to see an abundance of them, but it would be cool to see you know different markets get maybe different races every so often. Um, I think that would be exciting. I think that it would be. Um, it would be cool to see the series branch out some. Um, you know, certainly I recall when, when NASCAR raced down in Mexico as well as Canada, I thought those were good races. And, you know, maybe we see somewhat of a, retur- a return of that as time goes on. So, um, and then I, I think, you know, they really hit on something this year with the LA Coliseum essentially building a temporary racetrack inside of a stadium. You know, maybe that's a concept that we see built upon or branched out as time goes on. So I don't, I don't know. I think there's a lot to be excited about here. You know, I think given the fact that we've gone to the, the same racetracks over and over again for all these years, it's fun to see <laughs> um, some out outside the box thinking, and it's fun to see new ideas and new concepts come to fruition. And I think that it would be nice to see um, underserved markets get the opportunity to, to host NASCAR events um, specifically the upper Midwest and the Pacific Northwest, um, which doesn't have anything as far as NASCAR goes. I guess, um, you know, Wisconsin had Road America, which, you know, certainly sad to see that go. Um, but, you know, in lieu of that, I think it's going to be fun to see the Chicago street course. And, you know, so it would be cool to see, you know, that area of the country, uh, you know, maybe get the chance to host racing at some point down the road. So, um, these are all positive changes, and and I think that um, you know a big schedule shakeup is is a good thing for sure. Okay, Tommy. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm just interested to see how it's all gonna shake out. To uh, the the weekday races and all that stuff sounds uh, interesting. Um, you know, with Rockingham and North Wilkesboro being close, and you know, shortening the season. Because, you know, the NFL is tough to compete with in college football. So maybe they pack it all in uh, from February to, like, September or something. But um, uh, I'm just curious to see what the new tracks are going to be and which ones are going to get the boot. Um, that's what I'm interested <laughs> in. And I did hear something about um, – I always think of the 90s when uh, they went to those two tracks in Japan – I mean, I've always saw it on YouTube, of course, but I, I do know they went to Japan and they raced. And, um, you know, that would be pretty cool for them to go to Europe somewhere and do a race, whether it be a street course or if there's a track out there they can do it at. I mean, that that, that would be really cool. Uh, the logistics are probably going to be the, the interesting part there, but uh, it would still be – that would still be awesome. <laughs> uh, you know how you have to get up for London football games at, like, eight or nine in the morning to watch them. I wonder if you're going to have to get up at eight, and eight or nine o'clock on a Sunday to watch a race, but, I mean, that's fine with me. 
Okay. Uh, you guys have all brought up some really good points. I guess the only other thing I can add is that uh, with the aggressive changes that they're talking about, uh, and, and maybe even including the street course race, uh, they're all really exciting. A lot of people are looking forward to it. But in all of these changes that NASCAR is making, there are going to be some things that work out really, really well, like the L.A. Coliseum, but there are going to be some things that don't work out well. So I would just kind of forewarn people to not expect everything to go perfect uh, with aggressive changes that are coming in NASCAR. I would think that uh, – there's going to be something that maybe uh, fans aren't too excited about when they hear what that schedule is, or maybe they're really excited about. But uh, uh, I know a lot of people were skeptical about the LA Coliseum and it turned out to be uh, a pretty good thing. uh, And a lot of people enjoyed that. But uh, I think that we can expect that, um, uh, I love the out-of-the-box thinking, but I think we can expect that not everything's going to go uh, real well. I think that there are going to be some things that maybe don't go so well uh, that uh, uh, it's not a it's not a uh, thing to be unhappy about necessarily, but a learning curve for NASCAR as they go through uh, making some of these aggressive changes uh, of what to do and what not to do uh, when they're thinking about some of these changes. Um, And um, that's the only other thing that I think I can add. You guys have all made some great points. Jay, you get to wind it up. Yeah, I'd follow up on what you said there. Um, some uh, Certain ones would take time to develop, well, whether they're in the same mm-hmm. location or not. I know we're returning to the L.A. Coliseum, but that is one then of, again, coliseums or bigger arenas uh, around the country, this country and others, because that's one that's been kicked around as far as overseas. I know, Sharon, you've mentioned a couple of times when they race back at Soldier Field. Um, mm-hmm. So that might be one. The road course one, I think, is or the street course, sorry, make sure I use the right words. Street course one is an interesting one. If they were to say we're going to do one street course per year, this year it happens to be in Chicago. Uh, next year maybe it is in New York, or that is one maybe could be done in the upper Midwest, um, Northwest and Midwest, like Andy mentioned. That is one that could be in that they got to build the track anyway. I don't know how much, like at the L.A. Coliseum, how much money they save by returning and doing it in the same location each and every year. The second thing would be what you mentioned, Sharon, of even if it is a permanent thing, of give it time to develop and then improve on it, specifically the Bristol dirt race. Uh, heavier cars, the weather, so many things can, uh, can vary with that. I think we've showed great improvement of how the cup cars do on dirt over the three years. First year, I wouldn't call it a disaster, but it wasn't great either. I think we've seen improvement each of the years they've been back. So mm-hmm. you're right. There are certain things that way you got to give it time to develop. Um, so, yeah, and, and again, there's so many other possibilities. I've always been one of, I, I think, the midweek racing could be a, a big thing. Um, I know logistics, uh, Tommy mentioned that. I know when we're talking about going back to Japan, the logistics of that is the teams travel. That's why it was an exhibition outside of the regular season, um, getting the cars over there and then of 
time differential for it to be marketable to those in the uh, state side um, certainly is a, is a work uh, something to be worked upon. Um, but I do remember that of teams talking about that. Even Canada and Mexico were a little bit, not quite as much so, but that the cars going over to Japan had to be created over. So teams had to have those ready and the cost of it um, certainly could become a factor. So we'll have to wait and see. I, like I said, I'm intrigued by it. I just don't want to see them go too overboard. And, and as I said, the change just for the sake of change make sure there's a full thought process. And like I said, I, clearly they are thinking long-term because this is 2024 we're talking about. Exactly. Okay. We are uh, coming up to the top of the hour, so uh, let's go ahead and do our roundtable. And, Tommy, we'll start with you. Uh, I'm at Cincinnati Fan on Twitter. Uh, give me a follow. You can take a look at my diecast. Um Got a couple good ones uh, to come for this month. Um, bunch of number ten Johnny Benson, uh, Johnny Benson paint schemes. Mm, cool. Okay, uh, Andy. Uh, CB fourteen fan on uh, Twitter, and um, as always, good to be on tonight. And um, looking forward to uh, some racing in Vegas this weekend. Hopefully, it's good. Okay, and Jay. Uh, you can follow me, uh, Michael Hoosman, on Facebook, MoparMJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. And Mike's not here to help me out but because uh, it's, it's got to be a little different anyway. So I'm going to go off a couple things we're talking or sharing about. I won't be in a hotel this weekend because I'm going to be two minutes from uh, my house, and that'll be at the baddest bullring in the south, Columbus Speedway. So <laughs> bullring in Vegas and bullring right here in Columbus. There you go. And I am Fan for Racing Psyched on Twitter and Fan for Racing Blog and Radio everywhere else, including our website, fanforracing.com, where we have our radio player for Fan for Racing Radio. Um, and uh, big shout-out to our listeners for tuning in. We do appreciate it. And we hope you enjoy listening as much as we enjoy doing this. We always have a, a good time here with our Fan for Racing crew. And uh, a big shout-out to the fan and crew as well. And tonight that would be Jay Huseman, Andy Lasky, and Tommy Kraft. Thank you guys uh, for all that you contribute. And uh, we will look forward to the weekend of racing this weekend and uh, returning back on Monday to review all of it. So take care and enjoy your race weekend, guys. Have a good night. Good night. Good night, everybody.
But I think you might become more comfortable in the bed. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.